Why do salmon swim upstream despite the threat of the bear? Because laying down the foundation for the next generation is worth the risk. This is the Upstream Podcast hosted by me, Salmon Like the Fish, where guests share their pearls of wisdom that could have only been realized through the journey against the current of life. Your presence here and now is no mistake. Keep your ears and your heart open. There is something for you to gain. All right. We are here for another episode of the Upstream Podcast with Salman Abizet with my very good friend, Paulo Santos, Mensa genius, triathlete, uh, athlete extraordinaire, uh, billionaire playboy, uh, yeah. <laughs> turned turn domestic uh, man with wife and children now. Uh, Blevy, how you doing, my friend? First of all, half of those are fake, by the <laughs> way. Just... Don't get don't get the audience all hyped up. There's there's not a lot of that. That's really true. <laughs> well, uh, Flabby, we've known each other for how long now? I would say oh, about man. Uh, how old am I now? Thirty eight. So probably like twenty two, twenty three years, something like that. More than half our lives, that's, easily. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Uh, have you been? How's everything going? Still chugging, man. I mean, it's been it was a rough twenty twenty in many ways, but uh, considering everything that's gone down, I, I couldn't imagine it be any better right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, the reason why we want to talk today, right? I mean, your 2020 was tough. I mean, we've all had tough 2020s, I, I think. Uh, there's, a, there's a quote that I heard pretty recently that we're, we're all in the same storm, but we all have different boats, right? So some of us are kind of weathering the storm a little bit better than others just because of, for whatever reason. Uh, and other us, others of us are having a more difficult time or have, more, uh, or have had more intense experiences. Uh, so for you, I was thinking of any name to call your podcast, right? I, I couldn't think of a really good one. There was Death Wears Your Sting, From Death to Life, uh, uh, Can't Nobody Break Up My Stride, Can't <laughs> Nobody Hold Me Down. <laughs> I couldn't think of one, so I'll have to name this later. But the whole reason that we're meeting is because you've had an NDE, right? Which is the acronym now for a near-death experience. Yep. Can you just explain, uh, just for any listeners, what a near-death experience is? Because I think many people would think, Oh, a car almost hit me. I that was a near death experience, or you know something like that. Could, could you clarify that for people? Yeah. By the way, I just learned what all this is this past few months. Like I didn't really understand it myself. Um, you know, a near death experience is actually going through the process that you've actually died in many ways. Um, you've had some sort of an out of body experience, and you experience beyond this existence. Mm -hmm. um, it's very different for everybody. Some people will, you know, quote unquote, see the light or a tunnel or see their grandmother or grandfather or, or mom or dad that's been passed already. Um, some will see their lives flash before their eyes. And it really is a very unique experience for everybody. I will say from all the stories I've heard since I, I've gotten into the understanding of what that really meant was that there's still universal commonalities between all of them, mm -hmm. which is really kind of comforting. And interesting in many ways, right? Yeah. I mean, well, for you, um, the reason you had this near-death experience is because you actually did get COVID. You were one of the first people I knew personally that actually had COVID yep. and ended up in the hospital. You were on a ventilator at a time when back then they didn't know what to do with patients with COVID. So they were putting on ventilators very early, um, which, I mean, at that point, many people have a very, very difficult time coming off ventilators and surviving especially at the three-week point, I think, you were on a ventilator? What was it? I was a little over two weeks. So they think I caught COVID sometime like the first week of March. Um, I had some business events. I was traveling to D.C. I was on a train, all that kind of stuff. Um, a week later, after I got home, I was fighting a fever, fought that off for like three or four days. Um, one night, March 16th, uh, 17th, I was in the basement. I had quarantined myself already from the family. I don't know what my fever hit. 
but I was hallucinating in the basement. Like wow. I'm like something's really bad here. Do you remember what hallucinations you were having? I do. It was pretty frightening. It was pretty frightening. I thought there were like demons chasing me around the basement. It was weird. Yeah. It was wow. very very uncomfortable. Have you ever experienced that before? No, like, never. Anything like that? Never. Um, they did say it's probably because the fevers were were starting to. Yeah, get fe- to me fever dreams right? yeah, yeah. I, oh that, that no clue yeah. <laughs> but that's what they told me they said that your fevers were really that bad um and i went to the hospital and they told me like we, we did chest x-rays they said you have double pneumonia like we don't even know how you're standing right now and i wasn't even complaining because i thought i wasn't having any problems breathing at all i thought it was perfectly fine mm-hmm. They're like you should pretty much be unconscious right now because your oxygen levels are so low wow and I'm like, okay, I guess. Um, <laughs> this is middle of March and, you know, no masks yet, right? Or just starting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was really strange. And then I get to the hospital. I'm in the ER. They're like, we're going to start treating you for COVID because everything we're looking at right now looks like you have COVID. I'm like, well, crap, what the hell do I do now? Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe I was there. I so those, those next three or four days before I got ventilated was very... It's very, it's very, very, very blurry to me. But I remember being there and I would hear the code alarm every hour. Wow. And I could actually see bodies being pulled out, mm. like, like, like right in front of me. I'm like, oh, wow, like every hour there's a body being pulled out. And I'm like, oh, man, that's whatever he's gotten him, I got in me. Mm-hmm. So it puts a lot of thought process in your head. And then... I remember the second day at the hospital, I actually remember them setting up the tents outside to start doing intake. And I was like, oh, this is real. This yeah. is really real. And, you know, it, it messes with your head yeah. when you're watching all that happen, watching all the dying around you. You could hear patients screaming or gasping for air. You kept hearing the coding and there's, it was just weird. It was a very weird vibe. I mean, you saw that and the nurses and doctors were crying. Mm. Like they just didn't know what to do. You know, uh, the reason we know each other, just for everyone to know, is we, we were a part of like a youth group, a Catholic youth group together, right? And um, and we went to high school together. And we went to high, high school, school yeah. Yep. And we went to high school. Um, but I think we got to know each other really through the community yep. that we were in. And the community that we were in was more of a charismatic-based community. And for those who don't know, like a Catholic charismatic, raise your hands and, you know, really sing and really get into this whole spiritual life. So like where there is kind of like the spiritual battle that's uh, taking place, right? I know that might be very foreign to people. Yeah. But that's what really the charismatic life, there's, it's part of that. Uh, now, when you were in that experience, did you, ha- like, were you uh, already kind of, like, looking to God, like, what is this? Like, what's going on? Oh, yeah. 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 So, I, 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 listen, I'm, I, I, I believe in God. I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a Catholic. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to say I'm the, the biggest church guy, right? Definitely not. Uh, I called Father Gino when I got to the hospital. And I actually asked him, by the way, I've never been to confession for like, I don't know, how many decades, right? Yeah. Um, I actually asked him if he could do confession over the phone. No way. It was that serious to me. Wow. I actually thought I was going to die. And it was the first time I was like, let me, if this is happening, let me clean my my sins out and let's get a fresh start going. Um, unfortunately, he couldn't do it over the phone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Jada, come on, I asked you for one thing. Here. <laughs> the uh, one time I yeah. want to go to confession. Yeah. I, you actually have me in a moment here <laughs> that I'm actually willing to do this, so let's yeah. do this. Um, but he heard my prayer, and he's like, listen, I, just, just say it, I'll pray for it, you know, all that kind of stuff, but I can't actually take the actual thing over the phone. Yeah. Um, but that was, I remember that was the first time I was like really thinking, and I, that was my first thought. Mm-hmm. Let me just clear it all out, and let's see if we can get a fresh start somehow. 
but that was a yeah that was actually when i first turned you know back to god i guess for that moment yeah, yeah. um now how long were you there until you actually got on a ventilator and went into a coma so they think two or th- uh, maybe three or four days before i went down um I'm not exactly sure how that happened. All I know is that they told me later on that I just stopped breathing mm-hmm. and they put me in a ventilator and induced a coma. Wow. Um, and then I was down for a little over two weeks. Okay. So I know we had spoken probably, what, maybe three or four months after the whole ordeal for you, right? I think we talked maybe a couple of weeks just after. Was it really that soon it, after? I think so because I was going through a lot of psychological, mental stuff. And yeah. I, was, I, I need somebody who understands. <laughs> well, you know, you were really interesting because you understood, obviously, the, the medical, psychological, you know, all that stuff. But you also understood my Catholic beliefs. Yes. Which really helped me bridge what was going on in my head because everything that happened to me was, yeah, I get it. There's a lot of medical stuff. I was on a ton of medication. I did stop breathing. And all that stuff did happen. Mm-hmm. But how I processed it and how it was presented to me and what I envisioned was very much a God conversation, mm-hmm. right? It needed, it needed somebody who understood both sides of it. Yeah. Uh, Cause I could talk to, I could talk to all my, my cousins and my wife who are all medical or all nurses, they're all doctors. Right. Mm-hmm. And they could tell me a very specific thing of what was happening and how that may have translated to me while I was in a coma. Or I could talk to the priest and stuff who could just tell me, oh, this is, this is the man in the sky and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. it was the middle ground that I was looking for. Yeah. To kind of bring what was so, the, the, the images and, and, and the experience that I had, which was so beyond this earth, but bring it back to ground, to an understanding, to a way that I could actually digest it properly. Yeah. And I think we did speak just shortly after because I did need that pretty fast yeah because it was a lot to handle i remember i when i spoke to you i, I felt like um you like your brain was on fire yeah. you know it was it was a lot to take in and still very traumatic at the time yeah. you know like what you were experiencing I, I mean to be honest with you i felt very um privileged that you would reach out to me for for that sort of thing um just because i think when we were younger i looked at you like the older brother type you know and not yeah. not uh, that it would it's one way it's me right. to plebe not, <laughs> you know like not plebe to ask me about anything you know so that was really cool um, for me to be in that space to kind of be able to give something back to you after kind of being like that for me. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, in psychiatry, it's a very strange thing that, that we're not really looking at um, uh, religion and psychiatry kind of coexisting. You know, I remember once hearing a psychiatrist at work and she probably, she didn't know what she was saying. Um, but I caught, I caught her saying, oh, yeah, the body and blood that you really believe that's the body and blood of Jesus Christ that you're having at Eucharist. Okay. <laughs> that's crazy. You know, but that's a Catholic belief, right? You know, in, in the DSM five, which is the, uh, the book that we use to kind of diagnose psychiatric illness, uh, or, or disorders, it depends on the context of the uh, of like the religious references. So for example, if I was from Haiti and I believed in voodoo and witchcraft and that's normal. That's actually normal in the context of their religion. If you and I believe that the body and blood of Christ at the mass is the body and blood of Christ, literally, that is normal. However, if I'm an American-born uh, of European descent, no connection in my family to voodoo or witchcraft, and all of a sudden I believe that someone has a voodoo doll and is poking me, that's not normal hmm. because um, culturally it doesn't make any sense. You know, 
So for you, it sounds like your experience uh, was um, heavily colored by, you know, also your spiritual background. Yeah, and and I, I keep telling people, you know, people think I'm weird nowadays, right? There's 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 a lot of. First of all, let me just clarify: I'm not a psychic. <laughs> I'm certainly not a medium. You, know I mean? you can't or, tell me where right. I, what, the, what the lottery numbers are for right. tomorrow. No, we've tried. We've, <laughs> it, it, it didn't work. Um, but you know, as much as there was so much of my religious and cultural background that fell into what I experienced while I was in a coma, you know, as far as religion goes, it just wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So. You know, do do I think that it was right? I just think we're not wrong. Yeah, no, I. It's just that we're not wrong. Yeah. it's not that we're right. Yeah, but we're definitely not wrong. Right, <laughs> right. It's just I look at it as because the the if we real if we really believe in God, right? If we really do, the crux of it says we can't possibly understand his thinking. Right. His because ways are so far above our we're ways. We're not smart enough. Yes. Then, then, we, then there's the humanity part of it, the human part of us, which is trying to translate what the Bible really means. Right. And it's been 2,000 years, and they're still trying to translate it, right? <laughs> yeah. um, we're still trying to translate what the meaning of life is. And there's people who are so absolute about all their beliefs. But the truth is, we're just not capable of really understanding it. Yeah. Um, even, in my, even after I've, you know, quote-unquote, been back here on Earth, right? Um, even what I've experienced, I'm still not smart enough to tell you exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you what really happened because I'm just not smart enough yeah. back here to tell you. Right. And it doesn't really matter because even if I did, you're not smart enough to understand. <laughs> right. And it's not its not a knock on anybody. Yeah, yeah. It's just that we're not built yeah. to understand it fully. We're just going to have to experience it. Yeah. There's and no way to translate that experience in its entirety, in its fullness. I've tried. Yeah. I've tried. I've t- I could tell little snippets of the story, yeah. obviously, and, and a lot of Things were, you know, over the past few months, were digesting what happened, understanding it, and really breaking it down in my head of exactly what parts of it I'm absolute about, and I could actually share a storyline about. Mm-hmm. Um, but as, on an overall, no, it's like me telling you, you know, this is what pizza tastes like. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, you're just going to have to taste it yourself. Right, right. So, yeah. Well, I like that one example, right? Um, what would you, what did you say about the Louvre? Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So. That was a great example. Can you go into that? Yeah. So, like, like your whole experience, like trying to explain it to someone else in its entirety would be like... Right. So, it's, it's to be fair, it's not my concept. Oh, it's not? It's actually from uh, Goodwill Hunting, <laughs> this whole concept. So, let, let me just... Let me, let me you know, ex- I was so impressed by that. Well, I was like, damn. Well, I, bro- I, I broke it down to more detail, to be fair. <laughs> okay. Goodwill Hunting gave me the, the basis of it. Fair enough. Right, so, so Robin Williams and Matt Damon are at MIT, and Robin Williams is his, um, I guess, his court-ordered psychiatric you know, advisor to this whole thing, right? Um, and, he, and he starts going, and, and Matt Damon starts getting really arrogant. Now, he's a super genius in MIT, um, and he starts telling him all the stuff that he knows and Robin Williams goes, yeah, but tell me what, the, what, what, what it smells like inside the Sistine Chapel. Tell me that. I'm sure you could tell me Michelangelo lived from this year to this year, you know, why he made this painting this way and everything else, but you can never tell me what it smells like inside the Sistine Chapel. And to me, that's a lot of what my experience was like. And, you know, you, you can go down this path of trying to explain to everybody what, you know, what, what visiting a city is like or eating pizza light is like, but you will just never know until you've tried it yourself or visit one of these places. 
the interesting part, which I think is so ironic of why there's so much doubt in my experience or anybody else's experience, is that, yeah, you can try pizza one day. You can go to the, you can go to the Louvre or you can go to the Sistine Chapel one day and experience that smell for, you for the first time. You can. You will die. It, mm. that, that's the one absolute that we all really know is going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. We know that one day, you know, hopefully far from now, all of us will die. Mm-hmm. So we are going to experience something, whether it be something which is nullness, right? Or, or emptiness or heaven or hell or whatever else. But we are all going to go, some, to go through some experience. Mm-hmm. And the irony is that there's people who believe that, you know, they can't have pizza, and, or they can't, but they don't accept the fact that they will die and they will move on. Right. So why do you believe everybody that, you know, why do you believe that, oh yeah, trust Paulo, he's, he's, he smelled what it was like inside the Sistine Chapel, yeah. but you don't believe that I went anywhere else. Yeah. To me, it's one of those crazy, you know, catch-22s of it all. Yeah. But, you know, that's, that's our, it's our human nature, I think, to, to doubt. To doubt. Yeah, I agree. And for me, I, if it serves your purpose for you, then it doesn't even matter, I think. Right. You know, um, for me, it, it gives me kind of solace because, you know, I know you personally. But I would imagine, you know, someone else who, uh, you know, might not know you, you know, not being able to buy into the experience, especially if they don't have that kind of. Uh, religious background you right. know what's interesting though is some pe- people will have you know religious experiences that aren't not like christian based you know like right. and so it's not like it's not an absolute like if you have a you know after death experience that it's of a particular religion it's, that doesn't exist you right. know um I, 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 you know it's funny because a lot of the things i've been hesitant to tell people about because it was not necessarily christian belief mm-hmm. it's not necessarily how i thought it was supposed to be or right. how the church says it's supposed to be but I can't deny that it happened in certain ways. Yeah. But doesn't mean I'm right because yeah. a lot of things are exactly how it was supposed to happen. Right. Right. It's just it's just not all right or just not all wrong at the same time. Yeah. I you know I think um, what's that movie with Rob, another Robin Williams movie? Uh, what dreams may come. Yep. I think it's very specific to the. I mean I haven't been there, but I would just assume that it's going to be specific to the person. Yeah. And what your experience was kind of confirmed that to me that it was very specific to you. Um. And I know we talked prior to that we were going to kind of uh, contextualize this in, the, in kind of like the Christmas Carol story. Yep. So tell me what you experienced while you were in that coma, because it sounds like, you know, you had this really intense spiritual experience. Uh, if we can call should we call that a, or, or, or near death experience? We'll call it that sure. um, slash spiritual experience. We'll call it both just to kind of touch everything. Um, what what was going on during that time for you? So you know, I remember one moment I was just suddenly I suddenly just woke up. And I was in a hospital room, um, dim lit. So it must have been early in the morning, but there's nobody around. And I was in a room all by myself. It was a pretty big room, you know, and I was just in a room by myself. And right in front of me was an all glass wall looking at the nursing station, nurses stations right in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was nobody around at all. The, the, the lights were, the, the, the machines were on, um, the IV drip was going. So, I mean, I was definitely in a hospital room. Um, and I couldn't walk. I had those uh, massaging sock oh, things. Yeah, I don't know what yeah, they're called. Yeah. Uh, um, Eric, the Airdyne. Yeah, whatever. They yeah, are. Yeah. So, you know, so I have them on. I'm like, oh, this is weird. But I'm not, I, I have no idea why I'm there. But I'm not concerned about it either. I'm literally just relaxed. And I'm like, holy crap, I'm dying right now. That was the exact thought in my head. No fear, no confusion. I was just like, I'm dying. Hmm. Um, 
And then suddenly, I actually start hearing prayer in the background. There was a woman praying. And she was like screaming, crying, praying for me. I close my eyes. And you ever watch Lion King where like suddenly the sand starts swirling? <laughs> um, yes. The sand starts swirling. It's all pitch black. But then yeah. there's a black sand. And suddenly like one color would come out. Yeah. And that color would just start swirling into the black sand. And suddenly the image would start forming. Yeah. Um, this time it was black sand. And then... I caught a hint of red, like magenta, like dark red. And then it started swirling. Next thing I know, I'm floating over my body in the hospital. There's doctors around me, and the code team is in there. And then there's a woman in the back, a nurse in the back, and she's wearing red scrubs and a white sweater. And I realized I'm watching myself right now. This is what's happening right now. Did, did that cause you, cause you panic at the moment? No. You no, were at no, peace with that? Pure peace, pure comfort. Um, but for some reason I started making this weird sound and you know, there's a lot of rhythms in death, I guess. Right. And I, I felt like if I just catch this one syllable and it was, pa, I was like, pa, pa. if I can catch that sound, I can almost catch the beat of the ventilator. Wow. Right. And I can come back to life. And mm-hmm. sometimes I'd catch it and I come back for a second and come fall back down again and then suddenly go back up. But I could see this woman praying in the background and she is all I could hear. Meanwhile, there's there's maybe four or five people around me. There's machines. I'm, I'm not really sure how the code team works, but they were in there. They were all over me. And I'm hovering over my body while this is happening. Mm-hmm. And I just watch this woman crying in the background. I hear and I hear her. And suddenly I'm back down to this room again, back in my hospital room again. It just, it just kind of fades back. And I'm in a hospital room again, empty, dark, by myself. I'm like, okay, I didn't catch the, the sound this time. So I did it again. And I try to catch that sound. I find her again and then come back down. And... It was almost, you know, it was so strange because there was no feeling, mm-hmm. no happiness, no sadness, no fear, no confusion, just nothing. Mm-hmm. I can't even, Im- I can't even get to that state if I tried right now. Was that a good feeling? No, it wasn't good or bad. There was no feeling. I wow. couldn't even tell you that. Um, oh, well, I, let me ask you this. Is that a preferable feeling right now? If you could be like that versus how you are now, is that a preferable feeling? I guess in many ways. Because you lack worry, uh-huh. right? I mean, I'm a dad. You're a dad. Isn't isn't worry our life time. just worry? 100%. Isn't it all about worry? 100%. In many ways, it was preferable because there's no worry. You're not worrying about your, your income. You're not worrying about your taxes. You're not worrying about your kids. You're not worrying about your wife. You're not worrying about anything. So in many ways, yeah, it's preferable in that sense. Um, while I was there, it wasn't good or bad. It just was, yeah. which is really kind of strange. Um but anyway, so, you know, the experience kept going on. There's a whole sort of other scenario there. And then suddenly I'm back in this hospital bed again. And I'm, my, 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 whatever was there was trying to leave. And I could tell you right now, I could actually hear all you guys praying for me. Right. You know, just for context, we were, we all gathered like old aunties and uncles. Like back in the day, like our aunties and uncles would pray the rosary yeah. and we'd be like, oh, I want to freaking do this. Yeah. Now we're doing it over Zoom. Which is weird. Yeah, which is weird. And we were, that was the first time a lot of us, I mean, you know. West Coast. Yeah, East Coast, West Coast. I heard, Coast, I heard, I heard so People such who hadn't been praying, who hadn't been going to church in a while. And by the way, I just want to say this right now. There, there's no such thing as like good Catholic back. I don't believe in that. It's just you go when you have to go. Right. Like, you know when you need to go and it's an internal drive. Like, uh, so, I mean, earlier and I go, 
because there's an internal drive like I, I'm like I need this right now right. you know so it's like you know what is that uh, a person doesn't need a doctor unless they're sick right. you know what I mean so that's I just want you to know that on my end but the the whole rosary thing was super cool to me because I'm like man Dexter is leading this yeah. this is awesome <laughs> I heard John Kim yeah. uh, was on he that popped he popped times. in a couple times a couple times and it was just so nice to be able to pray with like you know friends from like our youth and to to hear that you heard those prayers somehow and it was, was so weird because like if I could tell you what physical manifestation of prayers are hmm. it was sitting on me wow and it was almost like I didn't belong there like my 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 soul whatever you want to call it wanted to get up and go what do you mean like go where go where somewhere else I'll, I'll explain that later. yeah, yeah it wanted sure. to, it wanted to move on uh-huh. but it wouldn't let me like mm-hmm. it was just it was like you're staying here I was like holy crap yeah. like oh, well, I guess not <laughs> right. All right, so, so I'm in this hospital room. It's dark. And by the way, I don't know how long the time has passed. could have been hours or years. It's just, it's just continual. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly the lights turn on. I'm like, okay, this is different. This is really weird. I'm skipping a lot of the story, but yeah. this is the gist of it, right? Um, the lights turn on and this guy comes in. Young guy, probably like, like late 20s, early 30s. Um, you know, and he comes to me and he's like, Hey, I'm like, hello. Okay. Now, now I'm starting to feel stuff. I'm like, I just work. So something's changing, right? He's dressed as a nurse, all in white scrubs. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes, listen, man, you're dying. I'm like, okay. And he starts telling me what's going to happen. And he starts explaining to me the levels of heaven, how hell works. And he's like, what do you want to know? And I'm like, tell me everything. And I, I, you know, I don't know how long it was. Could have been five seconds. I felt like I spent five years with him. Wow. Asking him anything and everything I wanted to know about the universe. Was it like Dante's Inferno, like in terms of like the levels of heaven and hell? Was it similar to that? Because I love that story. Dante's Inferno had more hell levels. (laughs) For me, I've only experienced one level of hell, but there were multiple levels of heaven, which was really cool. Yeah. There were three levels of heaven. And I was sitting at the brink of the first one. Uh-huh. And this guy's job, I call him my, my guardian angel, was to guide me through death. Uh-huh. I was like, wow. you." And one of the things for me that was really comforting was, wow, death is really freaking organized. <laughs> but like, <laughs> there was a only process. only college, uh, uh, what do you call the registrar's offices right. were just this way. They're, right. They're the, the, the DMV was better, right? Yeah, this would be cool. DMV. But it was like, you have a, you have, this guy was almost assigned to me to walk me through the process to comfort me the entire way. Did he have like a guardian angel vibe to him? Oh, a, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Like I could ask, I asked him about, you know, where's where the hell is Jesus? <laughs> where the hell is <laughs> where's, Jesus? Where's Jesus? And where's God? Where's God in all this? And he's like, it's, and he told me a lot of stuff, and it was very comforting. Yeah, right. He's like, oh, he's there. Just you know, just just keep reaching. He, he's reaching for you. He's there when you need him. Um, and then like he, you know, secrets of the universe. How you know how other dimensions work? He showed me maps of free will and maps of it's it's insane. Mm. Um. And then something really cool happened. He says, okay, now it's your time to do what you got to do. And then he let me watch my life as it may have unfolded. Wow. So really like uh, the ghost the of ghost Christmas, Christmas future? Future, right. Yeah. And he watched, he allowed me. It, I keep saying it was a gift from God where it was where I couldn't move forward if I didn't know that everything I was going to leave behind was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I watched my daughter who's nine now, eight at the time, get proposed to, get married, have kids. I watched those kids grow up and die. And I must have spent 100 years, at least, in that time frame, 
watching all these things develop. My son getting mad. I mean, it was were wild. You, were you alive in this scenario? Or this is no, like you're I was just, gone I was and now gone, you're watching it? I was it. watching it just to make sure it, they were going to be okay. Wow. And it was a very strange thing. But it was very comforting to know that they went on without me. Right? I mean, isn't that like as a parent, isn't that all we want to do? Oh, yeah. Just make sure our kids are going to be okay. Yeah. Right? Just you know, make, I'll yeah. tell you, I, I think about one thing in the future I know is going to happen. I hadn't had your experience, but I know this. Now, Samara and I, we have this um, kind of joke like, um, uh, Daddy, you still remember our secret? And the secret is she's my favorite. What she doesn't know, the secret is to the other ones. Same secret. <laughs> so I could just picture the day that she gets married and we're doing the that daddy-daughter dance and she says to me, Daddy, remember our secret? <laughs> right? Yeah, so you can you can imagine these things. But uh, did, um, I'm curious. Like, did you feel a certain way? Uh, were you able to feel what your daughter was feeling? As oh, she was yeah. No, I, was, I, I watched it all happen. I could feel like I was there with her. Yeah. Um, did she try to, like, in that scenario did she did she like reach for you spiritually did she pray or is she like you know say something to you all of the above yeah all the, i was gone mm-hmm. i was gone gone yeah um you know which i always kind of wonder where like you know i, and I, don't, I don't believe in the mediums and all kinds of stuff in the world yeah but I, I always wonder if this is kind of when somebody passes yeah is this a moment that we're all allowed to witness what we have to witness to move on so maybe maybe like maybe these people aren't necessarily talking to the dead or seeing ghosts, whatever else. But where the seeing were people like me who were just passing, and it was for my benefit, not for them, mm-hmm. right? To make sure that they were okay, which is kind of cool, right? It's comforting. It is. It's a very comforting feeling, yeah. and that mo- that moment, yeah, that time frame that I had allowed me to move forward because I was like, okay, I'm ready to go now. Like my grandkids are okay. Mm-hmm. Like they lived their lives and died. Like that's all I wanted. How many right? grandkids did you have in your? I can't. In your yeah, I, I I don't want to give details about that kind of stuff. Just just in case if it happens in the future. Because I'm, I'm scared it might happen, right? Or it might come true to some extent. And I don't want it to come true because I still want some sort of mystery. In all you know this. what? That's actually a good point because of our um, because of our discussion before, and and then when you had told me you wanted to speak about this, right. I, there's actually uh, it's so interesting. As soon as you mentioned that, like I was flipping through Netflix, there's actually a series, documentary series. Surviving death, yeah, NDE. It's yeah, yeah. And, and they and I never heard NDE. I had to Google it. Uh, okay. You know, when you sent it, when you texted it to me, I thought it was something about plasma because I know you're doing something right. with that too, which we'll also talk about. The yeah. end. Don't let me forget that because that's super important. But um, yeah, I watched it a little bit, but then I kind of it started turning to like medium stuff, and I'm like, that's not really what I wanted to watch yeah. this for. But just watch, were, just watch the first episode. Yeah, everything that, else gets a little bit. Yeah, because then it's not really the yeah. main topic. It changes. But there was a woman who, a doctor actually, who had died, who, who was pronounced dead, I guess, but then was brought back to life. Um, really interesting that the, the near-death experience rate has skyrocketed since when, the 50s or so, when CPR was When developed. they invented resuscitation, Yeah, right. right. So then what she said was that she saw her future and she saw her, um, her son dying yeah. and she thought it was going to be at 18 years old, right? And, you know... This woman, her whole family's doing adventurous stuff, right? Like doing crazy stuff, kayaking yep. in wild rivers and jumping off a cliff, you know. You know. Um, so at one point, well, after the 18th birthday of her son, she mentioned that she had this vision of him in the future. And then shortly thereafter, he dies. So I'm like, how much of this is uh, 100%? Because in her, in her vision, he was to die before 18. Right. And then she told him after he passed 18, and then he ended up dying early. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, does that ever kind of open up someone to something? Like, uh, we talked a little bit before about this whole the secret thing and and this manifestation. But I feel like that's we talked about it, how it's kind of like a little iffy yeah. and all this kind of stuff. But I mean, telling someone you're gonna die in the next year or two, 
you know? Yeah, and and exact that exact question was asked to me just two weeks ago. Yeah, one of these companies that that uh, that I work with, um, one of the partners asked me, "Hey, man, listen, just tell me, be honest with me. Like, like I, I I know what you experienced. Yeah, um, am I gonna die young? <laughs> like straight out, just straight to my face. Yeah, my answer to him yeah. was, why would is there anything you would actually change? Yeah, in your life right now and. Because of that, does it really matter whether you're going to die young or old? That is such a Buddha right. <laughs> response. But, but isn't that That's very is, wise? Isn't that the truth, though? That right? is the truth. That so you, you're going to die at 39, or you're going to die at 89. Yeah. So what would you do differently? Yeah. I mean, is there anything you have to change? That is a beautiful response, and I'm sure the reason, probably partly, is because he's not living right, right? I mean, why would that, you? That's the only reason you're asking. Why, why would you care? You know? Only reason you're asking. I mean, I'm ready to go, bro. Like, you know, uh, I say that, but I got really sick uh, last year, and I, I don't. I, I'm not that ready to go. Yeah. I thought I was ready to go because, yeah. But now I know I have to change things. But no, like, I mean, if you think about it, even like. Um, you see this in like rappers, like remember Tupac and Biggie. Yeah, all their music before they died was about they're gonna die early. Right, and what happened? They died early. But if you talk about you're gonna die early, or if you have this premonition you're gonna die early, don't you think your behavior is gonna be different? You're gonna be a little bit more aggressive. You're gonna be a little bit more not giving an f about what you do. Right, right. But that's interesting that people are now coming to you as this uh, like a medium. Yeah, which is really strange because yeah. I, I, I'm not a big medium guy. <laughs> I don't really believe in this stuff. You're not from Long Island. You're, no, you're not yeah, a no. stay-at-home mom. <laughs> no, but but it's weird because a lot of things that I saw did come to fruition in many ways. Yeah. But I don't think that has anything to do with the fact that it happened in my head. I just think it's just gonna it was gonna happen it's anyway. It's a normal course of life. It's a normal course of yeah. life. Yeah. Um, so whether somebody dies young or old, it's still normal course of life. Yeah. You know, death is still. Undefeated, right? Yeah, <laughs> still, it's still gonna happen. Yeah, I don't know who's more undefeated, death or the internet. I don't know. It's yeah, a, it's yeah, we'll a little, little bit iffy. We'll see. Yeah, yeah but so well, let me go back to my story. So, the, so yeah, after I experienced all that life of my grandchildren, right? Pretty much, I get back to this guy, and he shows me other things. By the way, it's, it's crazy, and I I feel like it's been five years. So we're back to this hospital room. And he's like, "All right, you ready to go?" I'm like, "What's happening now?" He's like, "Well, I'm gonna tell you right now. You're gonna die. You're going to hell." Wow. I'm like, "Well, crap." He's like, "It's okay." Everybody goes to hell first hmm. for, for, for three days. And then you're going to go to this place called the lobby and meet the imager. The imager. I have no idea where that, that came from. That is a badass yeah. name. And the imager will then determine whether what level you go to heaven or if you're going to go back to hell. That's a hard to digest, right? That's hard to digest. But in that moment, I was like, okay, let's go. Like, it was no fear. I'm... The, I, I imagine that's kind of hopeful because, like, all right, well, this is the time I have to right because there's an absolute self, but there's, an, but there's also absolution, right? You, you, there's a there's a time frame. Yeah. So I'm only in hell for three days. I could I could tough it out for three days. Sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. But, but then the three days happen. You're like, holy crap! <laughs> get me the hell yeah, out of hell. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Um. But you're get you're, me the hell out of hell. hell. That's yeah. funny. But you're so like, but but the fact that you know there's a there's an exit way and a time frame that you're there gives you quote unquote some comfort. For whatever hell comfort is, right? Um, and then, of course, the next question is, what is hell like? And I break it down to one sentence. Hell is a constant reminder of all the terrible things on earth you can't do anything about. And at the same time, a constant view and vision of all the wonderful things you cannot enjoy with everybody else that you're missing out on. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, like you take, take the first part, right? You're, you're dead. Hey, so you, your, your daughter is about to get hurt in the next hour. I just tell you that. What are you going to do? Wherever you are, you're dropping everything. You're jumping in your car and you're driving over there. You're picking them up and you're going to protect them, right? Mm-hmm. 
you can't do that in hell. Yeah. They're just letting you know what's going to happen. You're and locked then, up. And then you watch it go. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, what the hell? And then you're going to watch her something like be married for the, get married to her husband. And you can't be there for that. That's suffering. That's funny. Maybe that's why the phrase, what the hell, maybe that's what right. it comes from. It's just like in our, <laughs> in our spiritual subconscious, right? right? What the hell? Yeah. But, but that's, that's to me what that was like. It, it, hell to me is a feeling. It's not really a place. That one emotion of I can't do anything about all these bad things happening and I can't be there for all the great things happening already. Mm-hmm. That feeling is the summation to me of what hell is for everybody. How they experience it is completely different. But I think it all goes back to that one emotion. Right? And th- that to me is pure torture. Mm-hmm. Just in- insane mental torture. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, was that worse than physical torture? Because I know you, you expressed to me some physical torture oh, that yeah. you felt like you experienced there in were, hell. There was, a, there was a crap ton of physical torture. Yeah. Um, um, candidly, you know, I was raped the first night I was there yeah. um, by one of the nurses. Uh-huh. Right? And... And it was one of those things, the first time it happened, I remember crying and screaming, but I couldn't make a sound mm-hmm. while it was happening. That's interesting. Right? He was doing it, and I was crying and screaming while, like, while it was happening, but I, but I, I was screaming. Uh, my mouth was opening, but nothing was, was coming, coming out. Uh-huh. Um, and then after, the, after, after that, it happened again the next day. And while it was happening, a nurse walked in, an, a female nurse, and she's just doing stuff around the room. Uh-huh. And just went on. Uh-huh. And I was like, holy crap. Like, you're not going to stop this? This rape. Or anything? And she, it was fine. Mm. And she was, the guy acknowledged her. She acknowledged him. Yeah. I'm screaming for her, but I couldn't make a sound. And yeah. but I don't think she would have cared anyway. Yeah. But that was the pure torture of the physical stuff. Yeah. Right? And then, so, so my first three days in hell was just terrible. And there was this one woman assigned to me. She was like the demon of it all. She was like the mastermind witch. And she would make things appear in front of me. Like, okay, suddenly my daughter's blanket when she was a baby would appear in my arms. Wow. And I was like, holy crap, what the hell is this, right? Or like suddenly there's like a bag of feces sitting next to my head kind of thing. It was just it was weird. So You know what's interesting is some of those things will correlate to being in an ICU setting. It's exactly it, yeah. Right? So like... um there is actually a lot of reports on like uh, patients reporting that they were raped in ICUs, right? Which is really a very difficult thing to happen. I mean, the the ratio from nurse to patient is very small. Um, the 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 constant checks are, are so frequent; it's such a rare thing. But what happens is because you are not able to, um, you're not able to swallow pills. They give you rectal right. rectal tylenol right but, to lower your temperature and how i was raped the first time yeah. was actually to turn me over to turn me onto my stomach yeah he grabbed the edges of the blanket yes and as which is exactly what they how do. they would prone a patient right they, yes. they would turn them over so i i know that there's a lot of yeah. what happened outside right. that translated but it correlates into, like it's uh, and it all correlates yeah there's, there is a there is a commonality what was going on outside even and, the bag of feces i'm i'm sure you shit the bed at some point of course so they have to you know they probably had the the sheets like wrapped up right next to you because they don't give a shit. That's not right. no especially, pun, especially no at that intended. time, right? Because there's yeah. so many people in yeah, the ICU. They're so they're inundated, you know. Right. So all that was happening. Suddenly, it was time to leave. Mm-hmm. I had done my three days, and I was gonna get transferred out. And then this whole story where I basically get tricked back into hell. Mm-hmm. So I never get to go see the imager, uh-huh. right? Which is crazy because I'm literally gonna be I'm being wheeled out of the hospital, um, but I can't. I still can't walk, right? And I could see the light far away. It was a tower of light. And it was nighttime, and you look around, and there's people biking, walking, cars driving towards the light. Mm. 
and I'm there trying to get like there was a truck to pick me up with all the other people in that hospital mm-hmm. and we're heading there but as I'm trying to leave long story but I get stuck there and suddenly I'm back in another room in hell and I'm there for about 40 years mm-hmm. which is insane but every day I was raped and all that kind of stuff and then I in somewhere like I don't know I don't know how long it was before it was years before I finally figured out what was happening well, it wasn't the physical torture like you were saying it had nothing to do with it it was the mental aspect that I was okay with it, mm-hmm. right? The fact that I accepted that that was my daily thing. Mm-hmm. It was humility. Mm-hmm. I, I it was a, it was it was almost a lesson in humility, mm-hmm. because you know, I'm sure in your field you've spoken to women who've been sexually assaulted for the whole, for for periods of time, all that kind of stuff. And for me, it was oh, it's three o'clock. Let's just get this done with. Mm-hmm. That's how you were, you were so. You were uh, so numb. resigned to you it already. So you know that it. it was going to happen. And it wasn't until I broke the mindset that it doesn't have to be this way that I that that it stopped. Right? It was that feeling. But and and but to bring back the religious aspect into the spiritual stuff, it must have been at least the first decade there, and I was just it was just the worst. Right? Obviously, right? It was just the worst, um, and. I finally heard God calling me. And he was like, come on, man. Like, like literally, I, I hear his voice. And he's like, don't, don't, don't stop fighting. And it wasn't physical, right? It was just, don't stop fighting. And I thought about it. And it was only recently that I realized that it wasn't the first time he was talking to me. It was just the first time I heard him. And it took me basically to get, you know, literally rape for decades or whatever and other, every other torture and abuse they gave me to finally hear him calling me which is kind of wild mm-hmm. um do you think in in your life prior to this you've ever even had an iota of like this kind of connection with god like you had at that moment not any i mean this was this was his voice mm-hmm. you know you've you, you know you've been through like these you know these these charismatic you know prayers and all that kind of stuff in the middle of a middle of a worship or something else and you feel the physical kind of okay god's with me right now you feel that warmth and all that kind of stuff yeah but this was absolute yeah right there you can kind of question a lot of things still was it me was, was it, it just me feeling good right yeah, was it yeah, endorphins yeah. i don't know what the yeah, hell yeah, it is yeah. right out of the medical stuff and that's what people will tell you all day long right the the, the 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 non-believers but to me this was absolute this okay there's literally god talking to me right now and I'm literally in hell, so there has to be something else on the other side. So you're just hearing his voice. You're not seeing him. Not yet. Not yet. No. Yeah. But but he is in my face, like like yelling at me, like, "Come on, uh-huh. come on, get up!" And that would happen over and over again for the next few years, um, as there was a new torture invented. Um, it wasn't until I figured it out and was trying to fight back with my brain and with with, with God in my hand, God in my in my in my, in my arsenal that it was that they would stop and you could actually hear like the demon that was torturing me in anguish and you could see him like frustrated that, that God I was... kept that I kept figuring it out huh. and it was it was just kind of kind of interesting right it wasn't even that like that I fought back that I figured out it was more like I figured out that okay I'm already dead what's a rape gonna really do to you yeah it was about the humility and about the mental torture they were giving. It had nothing to do with that. You're dead. Yeah, you're right. You can't watch. You can't stop anything happening to your wife or kids. You can't do it. And when you accepted that, 
was when he got more frustrated. Mm-hmm. He got more pissed off. So like the humility was like poison almost poison. to him. It was no, no, accepting it uh-huh. and acknowledging that you're not, this can't do anything to me. Mm-hmm. Right? Like this is, you're, you're not trying, the physical torture does nothing. Right? I mean, that's, that's why the, the concept of fire and brimstone really means nothing because <laughs> what are they going to burn you to death and you're already dead? Like what are they actually going to do? You know what? I don't know why I'm thinking of that scene in Bloodsport where, uh, where Jean-Claude Van Damme goes, come on! <laughs> and then he's kicking me over and over again. Come on! Come on! Oh, jeez. <laughs> but yeah, but that, that was it. Like, like, I was like, oh, come on, do it again. Like, yeah. well, you, you can't hurt me. Yeah. And, and taking away the physical aspects of torture from him was like taking a weapon away. Yeah. And like, I felt, I could hear his anguish. And this would go on for a long time. Back and forth, it was like a chess match. And by the way, it wasn't all me winning all the time. Most of the time was me giving up mm-hmm. and saying, you know what, screw it. What do you want me to do? Give me one more day with my kids. I'll do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. I wish I was a better man, but I gave him a lot of stuff. I mean, this is decades and decades and decades. Um, and, and then one day, you know, after a lot of back and forths, a lot, um, I just woke up and I was embraced by love, like everywhere. Um, you could, it was palpable. And that's one thing that people keep telling me, like, well, you know, like you said, you could take all those things that were happening in an ICU room potentially and translate it into what was happening in a coma. Yeah. But I, I could tell you now, you can't manufacture pure hate or pure love with science, right? You just can't. There's no explanation of how love or hate is supposed to feel until you feel the purity of either one. Mm-hmm. And that's when one day I just woke up like, oh, this feels so much better. <laughs> like, what is going on here? Yeah. And then you and I was in heaven. Um, and that's why part of me thinks I was accidentally brought to hell or yeah. stayed there too long. Yeah. Because I didn't have to go through the imager on my next round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I was suddenly just in heaven, and it was like God saying, "I hey, mean, sorry about that. We're good." <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, you have a habit of excelling way faster than most people yeah. do. I mean, we were in high school. You were going to NJ, NJIT in the summertime. Yeah. You know, from when? The time you were a sophomore or a junior? I actually like started in seventh grade. <laughs> yeah, when I moved, I, I, remember I was in Middlesex College first, um, then Rutgers, and then NJIT at night. While you were while in, I was high in high school. school yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, so that makes sense that your course was like, all right, yeah. we're good. Well, I keep, well, by, by the way, it wasn't excelling. I was there for, in my head, it was four decades. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean it's that. But, um, but I feel like it was almost God saying, like, all right, just come on in. Like, like we, I owe you one. Let's go. You but know, it, was, it, was, it was comforting. There, is a, there was a book that I read once when I was in adoration, and it was talking about how even saints spend hundreds of years in purgatory. Mm. And I was all like, saints spend hundreds? So I'm spending basically 15 millennia yeah, in purgatory. Pretty, <laughs> pretty much. Pretty <laughs> much. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, I, kept, I kept joking around, right? I keep telling people, like, I don't know why I went to hell. Like, and, and, you know, feel free to edit this later on, right? But I didn't know what the marker point was, right? If you look at the, if, if this was the 1200s, we would all be going to hell tomorrow for a thousand years yeah. each. There's no question about it, yeah, right? Yeah. No question about it. Um, but then I'm like, wait, like, I didn't murder anybody, yeah. right? What, what did I do that badly? Yeah. That I went to hell. Like, was it was it was it the porn, or was it like the midget animal porn? Like, <laughs> like what? Yeah, let's say, but what what is the 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 what point? The line? What's the line? Yeah. Um. And I you know, to this day I don't necessarily know that answer. I'm not sure I care, right? But it was that point where I was like, oh man. So what is the line that I can walk? Because if I know the line, maybe I'm just gonna walk as close to it as possible, yeah. right? Um. You know. But maybe the point of us point of it is for us to not know what the line actually is and still do good 
be good be whatever we have to be yeah. but yeah. if if you knew the line we're all gonna push it yeah we're all gonna walk the line you know there's a, a good show the good place I did. It? oh my god yeah. amazing and it, and uh and they the whole idea of the good place is spoiler alert if anyone wants to watch a good place don't listen to the next couple minutes but just this whole idea that there's this uh, unfair point system mm-hmm. you know like if you buy an apple you would think you know i'm eating healthy you know it's good but then the apple gives you a negative point because the apple was from like a farm that they had mm-hmm. uh, low paid workers right. you know so that's like a negative for you or you buy flowers from this place versus the other and the other place sources flowers from a place that you shouldn't source flowers from you know it's and, and so. th- but, but, it, but in that show there was nobody in heaven no, there was no. very few people that yeah. actually got to the good place. Right. Everybody else was in the bad place, right? Because the point system was so obscure, yes. and one-sided that there was almost no chance to get into heaven, right? Right. 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 <laughs> so, by the way, who knows? Yeah, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Um, yeah, but that was that was it. And then, so I remember getting to heaven, and I was in another hospital room. But it was but it was different. Everything was just different. And I FaceTime my wife, and she's on the FaceTime. She's eighty something years old. Wow. And I'm the same age. I'm the exact same age. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, what? And she's like, I've been trying to get you out of hell huh. forever. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, and and it, it took me to realize, like, holy crap, like, like, all this had just happened. I had been in my, you know, like I said, there's no time, obviously, when you're dead, right? But in, if I had to put it to terms we could understand now, it was almost 100 years mm-hmm. of watching my, daughter grow up grandkids dying spending time in hell finally arriving and he- spending time with that with that with the angel giving me all this knowledge and then going to hell and going to he- back into and arriving in heaven like there was a lot of time spent there mm-hmm. i had already said my goodbyes to my wife and my kids in my head mm-hmm. but now i'm back i'm like oh you're still alive in heaven now oh, that's cool uh-huh. right and so then, you were still you were in heaven so you were still separated by this chasm between heaven and i guess Earth. Heaven and earth, and then heaven in the hospital room, uh-huh. and I was moving out now to see him, uh-huh. right? And then to I see fi- God, to see God. Uh-huh. So I finally, I'm like on my way out of the room, and then suddenly, I'm in the presence for just a second, and it was a lot. That second was enough to understand that it was all there still. That like that God really was all around you, because it was such an amazing feeling. Mm-hmm. And if hell wasn't what wasn't have hell was a constant reminder of all the terrible things you can't do anything about and all the great things you can't be a part of heaven is simply a world without worry just no worry whatsoever and in many ways isn't that what peace really is right mm-hmm. isn't just because you can't turn in people people meditate people do yoga but at the end of the day, it's still just worry. It's not sustainable. It's not, but, it's, but you would that, have to do it. Like you're, you're medit- the fact that you're thinking about not worrying is worry. Is 100%. Right? There is no escape from it. Yeah. Right? But at that moment was enough to feel like, wow. And then when all the worry is gone, all you felt was God. Mm-hmm. Because there was nothing else blocking you, which is kind of cool. And even that moment that I was there was like, whoa, this is fantastic. And suddenly I woke up and my wife sucked me back and broke me and, and, and brought me back to life somehow. <laughs> I was like, damn it, you brought me back <laughs> to this earth. I'm like, what the hell just happened? In real life now. In real life. About. And suddenly I was back alive. Yeah. And one of those things where I remember the first two days, or the first the first day especially, waking up, it was I was still kind of like, am I in heaven? Am I in hell? Where the hell am I now? Hmm. Um, but there was a sadness to me. I was sad. I was crying. 
And it was mainly because, one, I'd have to go through it all again. Mm-hmm. I have to go through all the hell again. I'd have to watch my kids grow up and be worried again, mm-hmm. right? And that, there's a certain sadness to that aspect yeah. that we have to go back to emotions and being sad and being human. worried and being human. Yeah. And I was disappointed about it. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I had a hundred years to mourn the death of my kids and my wife and my families and my grandkids. And suddenly I'm going to have to experience pain and suffering again in many ways. Maybe not hell, hopefully, mm-hmm. but life yeah. in many ways, right? Life yeah. is life is loss, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that was that was tough. Let's uh, shout out Joy real quick, though, because I mean, for everything that she did, I don't think in my recent years seeing a wife fight that hard for her husband, you know, I mean, yeah, so much to go through like government yeah. <laughs> and CEOs of companies to get you a drug. That uh, was minimally approved, you know, yeah. for people. What was this drug now? You were, was it? Um, the remdesivir. Yeah, the remdesivir. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, actually, as, <laughs> around that time, I bought stock in that company. It was yeah. like, you know, this this saved his life. I'm gonna. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> a lot buy. of people did as well. <laughs> Hopefully, made some some bucks on yeah, it. Yeah, but, but, uh, yeah. But 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 man, like she really and she was updating us, you know, um, on Facebook in a group, you know, and she organized, you know, it's, you know, getting people together to pray and everything like that. And man, like. Um, you must be so grateful to have a woman like this. You know, it's pretty cool. Life. It's it's pretty interesting, right? So when when I think about what happened, and I didn't I didn't necessarily know all the stuff that was happening outside until really weeks or a month later that I was able to understand the, the the scale of what had to go right in order for me to come out alive. Yeah, there was a lot of moving pieces. Everything lined up. I think that's like that divine intervention, yeah. right? Because you could not make, you couldn't force these things to happen. Right. They just had to happen in their perfect timing. Right. Right. Even from like, so I was at, I was at Center State Hospital in Freehold initially, and in my about a week, a week already on the ventilator, my wife wanted to move me to another hospital because that smaller hospital just didn't do enough. Mm-hmm. So they tried to move me to Jersey Shore. And at that time, there's no more ICU beds left, and and they weren't even proning at Center State at that time. They didn't have prone teams. They didn't have prone. They didn't have any of that stuff. Prone teams. Prone like to, in order to turn me over, like a prone, oh. or a proning table. I think it's called. Like wow. there, there was, there's there's ways to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. And with that many people in ICU, you need teams that are just focused on moving bodies, flipping wow. them over, turning them sideways, all that kind of stuff. I didn't know that. And they weren't doing it at the time. Yeah. And. And my wife, I remember she told me she was like arguing with the nurse manager at the ICU at Center State saying, why are you not proning? That's like a respiratory, like 101, you prone your patients. Yeah. Um, but I guess they were just, it was just not in the cards for me. And that's interesting too, because she didn't have to be a nurse, you know? Right. She that, didn't that, have to be. That, that was just kind of like a, a chess move way before. Yeah. Right? I, was, on, on I, was, I, was, I was planning way ahead. <laughs> no, not on, you, not on your part. I'm talking about God's part. Like yeah. really... Because I mean, she uh, when you guys got married, she really didn't have to work, you know. She you know, you had kids; she could yeah. have stayed home, you know. But she had all that knowledge, and it was just kind of prepared before all of yeah. this and, even and, happened. And not even just her knowledge; like she had a network of nurses, yeah, and doctors that she could like ask for advice from and help from, yeah. Um, but she was the one that, you know, through my neighbors next door, who who knew somebody, who knew somebody, who knew somebody, who got me transferred to Jersey Shore. And they did not want to move me at all because they didn't think I was going to survive. Uh-huh. Um, and it was scary because at the time at Center State Hospital in Freehold, the first hospital, um, there was a family there. And I think seven of them had just died. 
Seven within the family? Seven within the family. There were wow. there were thirteen. I'm I'm gonna see these numbers all wrong. But let, let me just see if, if I'm right here. Thirteen people caught COVID in a family gathering um, in Jackson, New Jersey. Wow. At the same time, seven of them were in the hospital with me. In the same hospital, Central State Hospital, and I want to say at the time at least five of them had already died. Wow. And there were two more left. I think they died shortly after. And I think one or two got out. It was, it was, it was crazy. Um, so it was, it was kind of a weird time, right? Mm. Everybody was just freaking out. Yeah. But, you know, she had gone through this massive social media campaign. And, you know, long story short, my story got to the congressman, to my wife. And then it also got the eye of the CEO of Gilead Pharmaceuticals, who makes remdesivir. Yeah. So I'm getting transferred to this about a weekend. I get transferred to Jersey Shore. The CEO agrees to overnight the medication to me. Wow. To Jersey Shore. Thankfully, it wasn't necessary because when I got to Jersey Shore, there was one set of remdesivir left. No way. I was not qualified for the trial necessarily because I was, I was already late stages and I was younger. So it was actually, I think the trial was focused on people who were early stage before ventilation. So they authorized emergency use. The clinical pharmacist had already allotted that remdesivir to somebody else. Mm-hmm. She says she saw me when I arrived. And she says, I want to give it to this guy instead. Mm-hmm. It's a lot to handle. Yeah, It's a lot for me to handle thinking that, okay, there was somebody else that this medication was actually allotted for. Mm-hmm. And it went to me instead. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, that, that's, <laughs> that's part of what was going on so crazy at the time. Yeah. But you know, but my wife manufactured like all these methods to do this, and I'll be, I'll be honest, I didn't think she had it in her. Mm. I kind of just wanted her to just move on and like and just you know focus on the kids yeah. and just don't worry, it'll be whatever whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. Yeah. But she went through everything I could ever imagine, and I was I'm not I was she surprised me with what she did. You know, I'll tell you. I mean, I've known Joy for just as long as you have. Yeah. You know, I think around. And I've just always known her to be a docile spirit, not a mm-hmm. fighter, you know? And not, not that I don't think she had a fight in her, but, like, to fight that hard, yeah, it was like, cool. wow. Like, I'm seeing her personality, you yeah. know? Nor, because, I mean, she's, she's a very quiet, um, well, I don't know how, in, yeah. your, in your no, home but, life, but, but I mean, No, but even then, yeah. I know her better, obviously, but yeah. I didn't see that side of her. Yeah. I had no clue she had that in her. Yeah. Um, she's always been a great wife and a great mom, but to do all that is yeah. above and beyond, yeah. which is really kind of... You know, I was like, oh wow, she actually does love me. I mean, <laughs> you know, two kids later and eleven it, years it, it of marriage, took you almost dying to to figure it out. Right, but come on, but but <laughs> but but, but as 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 husbands and fathers, aren't we a little insecure still with the whole concept? Um, dude, listen, I I mean, my experience um, last year when I went to the hospital for mental right. health reasons, um, the way I saw Arlene fight for me, I mean, Arlene, in in a similar way. I mean, I I wasn't at the the, the brink of death, but I mean. Arlene could have just taken the kids and ran and then said, oh, you know, my husband's crazy. I'm scared of him. You know, I, I can't deal with this. But she every day confirmed with me, like, you know, I love you. This is, you know, don't you remember? I've done this. I've done that. Like, so even now, like, I get insecure. Yeah. But still, I mean, she stood by me. And I remember um, her picking me up from the hospital the day I left, you right. know, and I was like, man, this girl really loves me, you know. Um, so no, I, I hear you. I, I guess it's funny because I don't think us men we talk about being insecure about our wives loving us. Yeah, you know? we but, don't. We but, don't do that. But it's but we let's be honest. We all are. Yeah, we yeah. All, as, as cocky as we are to say, listen, if I wasn't married, oh, every other girl would fall in you know <laughs> right. fall in line, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. but the reality is, we're just you know just as insecure as anybody else. Yeah. And 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 the experience to me really brought that 
to light where I was like, wow, you know what? If I, if I could worry about one less thing, at least I know that she really does love me. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Yeah, that know? is awesome. Yeah. Now, I mean, so you've had the experience of seeing the future and now you're back here, you know, back in your body yeah. and, and experience life as is. You know, I talked to you about like, you know, part of my mission with this podcast is kind of like helping people to be at their optimal level of functioning, you know, like and, and kind of uh, crossing the section of like uh, spirituality as well as mental health, you know, because, you know, I, I told you before, you know, having this uh, physical health, right, being able to say run a four minute mile and uh, back squat 500 pounds means nothing if you don't have your mental health together. Right. You know, and, um, and also, you know, to make sure that we're functional, be able to provide for our families, you know, if we don't have that, we have nothing. Right. So, I mean, um, you're, I think you're in a very fortunate situation. You were able to leave a company that you worked for, for, you said 18, 18, 18 years, years, you know, where, and, uh, and you have your own companies as well. So, I mean, you're still able to provide for your family, but at the same time, now you're able to kind of give back. It sounds like, you know, you're doing this, um, uh, a charity fundraiser. Can you tell me about that? So on April 10th, uh, 2021, that is one year from the day I got out of the hospital. That was the day I was discharged. Um, I woke up on April 7th and they said that I'd be in the hospital for over a month in rehab mm-hmm. uh, or in a rehab center, right? Because I, I woke up, I dropped 50 pounds or 45 pounds. No way. In the two weeks of ventilation, I lost all that weight, and most of it was basically they said it's all in your legs, butt, and chest. Like you have no muscle left. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in the hospital bed, and I was like, "This is weird. Like I feel really weird right now." Yeah. And I remember asking the nurse. I guess there's a scale on the bed. I had no clue. I was like, "What's yeah. the weight say in the bed?" And like it says 184. I'm like, "What the hell?" <laughs> when was the last time you were 184? Like seventh grade? Oh yeah. I was like, "What the 184? Yeah, Get yeah. the hell out of here!" And then I looked at my body, and it was. The sad part about it is all the muscle leaves, everything else stays of behind. Of course, yeah. So it's just like a weird, I've, I had such like a weird dad bod. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was it was very awkward, right? So you just felt so weird. Did um, you feel like really weak? Really weak. Um, extremely like, I could like cross my, I remember lying down, I would cross my right foot over my left knee. And like my right foot was like back to like my stomach like i could bend it all the way back really? it was really weird just a weird thing because there's just nothing in the way right there's all right. there's no fat in the thing left yeah um, there's no muscle in the thing left so um but yeah so april 10th this year i am going to run from jersey from central state hospital in Freehold to jersey shore medical in neptune it's about 20 miles um it's really an honoring of all the nurses and doctors who didn't have to do what they did um and it's also i, I plan to return the walker they gave me and it's like, listen, man, I don't need this anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's 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 something I have to do. You know, a, a lot of it is, I think, a a mental aspect, psychological for me, just because like a know, healing of yeah. Of some sort. You know, they said my lungs are at eighty percent capacity, and they're scarred. I've scarred scarred on my left lung. Um, they don't they don't think it's coming back to hundred percent, but I don't really care. Are your O two stats okay? O two stats are okay now. Um. You know, I had a heart attack in September. You had a heart attack? I did. I didn't know this that. This past September, I had a heart attack. No way. And I remember it was like like oh, late September, and I remember like, what the hell is this feeling? And they took me to the hospital. Uh, I drove to the hospital, and they found a blood clot. Yeah, I thought it was just a pulmonary embolus. I didn't but know it was an found, actual heart attack. They found a blood clot that caused a heart attack because my wow. troponin levels were, were, were elevated. Uh-huh. Um, and they think it's probably because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, well, shit. So that's that's no fun. Yeah. Um. So, but they pulled it out. Quick little, 
procedure three days later, right out of my wrist kind of thing. Put no the clot out, put a stent in, ready to go. Um, <laughs> no easy peasy. Yeah, no problem. But, you know, doing this run to me is a thank you, but I, I need it for myself. Yeah. I need to know that, okay, yeah, you just had COVID. You were on a ventilator. You freaking stopped breathing and died. And you had a heart attack. So what? Yeah. Right? So what? It just doesn't matter. Like, you know, at the end of the day, I still got to take care of my family. I still yeah. got to be a dad. I still got to be a husband. Um, and I still got to be a human being. Yeah. Right? And, and I, I could probably use, I probably have more reasons to have an excuse to not do anything right now. And that's not what I want to be. Yeah. I, I don't want, I don't want to play the victim card. That, to me, that's like the saddest thing to me. Yeah. Right? Somebody who accepts, well, I can't do anything because of a heart attack, because I had COVID, because yeah, my lungs yeah, suck. Yeah. And I just, I, that's the worst part about it. I mean, there's yeah. people that are st- as bad as it was. There's yeah. still people who have had a crap ton more terrible experiences yeah. and physical challenges. And if I could just show these nurses and doctors, like, hey, you didn't just stop me. Like, you basically started a new life. Yeah. That's pretty. That's, that's what I need to show them. I love that. The whole example of being a victor, not a victim. I mean, right. so many people play that victim card. And, like, it does no good for anybody. It doesn't do good for themselves. It doesn't look good for anybody um, around them, right. you know, because other people buy into that. But if people see you as the victor, I mean, you're going to be giving so many people so much hope. Not, I mean, you know, we have no idea what happened to the other person that might have gotten the Rindazamir. Right. We have no idea whatsoever. But we do know that you're here. So we, I mean, you could look at it one way or the other, right? Uh, you know, I got it. This person probably died. I feel terrible. Or you could maximize, you know, this, well, you know, given this gift. Me, right? Yeah, which is huge. I mean, for you to want to do 20 miles, you know, which... I mean, it's been a while since you've ran like that long. It's been a while. It's been a really long while. My last half marathon was 2011. Yeah. My last full marathon was 2006. So it's yeah. I think when we did Philly, right? Did you do Philly? I did Philly. That was 2006. That was half marathon. But then they ran New York full marathon just a few months later. Oh, did you really? Yeah. Wow. But but you know what's interesting was in in that in 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 all of this right, you know if if the nurses and doctors could just know that it wasn't about you know saving one guy right right if it wasn't it's just about that you know i always use the term you use victor i always say i'm a thriver not a survivor mm. right because the word survivor by itself sounds like oh man like it, you're it's hanging a on by a yeah, thread yeah it's not that um and in fact this i think this whole experience made me a thrive in so many aspects of my life yeah so much better well speaking of thriving i mean what has this done to change your yourself and your family right because i know right. I think when we talked earlier, you know, you were focused on other things, you know, really heavily. So like, so for, for example, you know, your business, I know it's something you're very passionate about doing. You love right. the work that you do, uh, money. And I think money is a reality, right? I mean, it's a basic human need. You know, um, the basic human need really in, in this thing called Maslow's hierarchy of needs is shelter. Right. If you have no money, you will not have shelter, right? So it, it is, you know, uh, necessary. So this whole idea of that money is the root of all evil is, you know, I think in context, you know, kind of misguided you know because yeah, it is a necessity it is a necessity because you need food you need shelter you need to take Absolutely. care of what you got to take care of. now yeah. there's an excess amount of course but yes of course. i agree with you yeah and i do think it is a little bit manufactured yeah, that I, it's the root to all evil right? i agree and then even and so like i mean if you think about it uh <laughs> you could actually even think about how the 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 root of all evil is not having money i mean people right. kill rob and steal to get money you know uh, so um but has this shifted your priorities with your family well, you know, it's interesting. Everyone always asks me. Well, or everyone tells me, actually. They don't ask me. They tell me, well, you did all this. Well, God must have another plan for you. Uh-huh. I'm like, well, I don't know. I feel like I just failed third grade. I got to do it all over again. <laughs> that, to me, that's what it feels like. Like, yeah. okay, you did something wrong. Yeah. Just do it again. Yeah. Right? So, so you, you get a do-over. Um, 
you know, it, it's I, 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 I hear a lot of people say when they come to the brink of death, they they cherish how short life is. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's my experience. Um, what I will say is there's it, my outlook has changed a lot. Not necessarily in, I don't know what's good or bad nowadays, right? But it's definitely different. And one of the things that my outlook has really changed in with my family especially is understanding that that this life is temporary in many ways. And even as you learn to love or, or fall in love or love or fall in love with your baby for the first time or with your wife, those experiences, and this is going to sound, this is going to sound really weird. Let, let me just preface no, how I'm, awkward I'm, this I'm is going to sound. So we talk about hell, right? And all those wonderful things you're missing and all the terrible things that you can't do anything about. If I said that every single day you fall in love with your wife or your kids, you're basically manufacturing your own hell. Hmm. Because in that scenario, you are basically giving them weapons to use against you, mm-hmm. right? In so many ways. Explain that. Well, because if I never had kids, my kids couldn't be used as torture against me. Watching them get killed every single day oh. would never matter because it never existed. You mean that uh, like hell would use them as something against, against you? Against you, not correct. That, not that the kids are, are, are going to uh, be against you. Right, right. But that uh, but yeah. the idea of the idea of the child, the idea of my daughter growing up, and the torture of not being at her at her side when she needed me. I, if I never had a daughter. Guess what? They couldn't use my daughter against me, right? Which is kind of a weird thing. But at the end of the day, what's so cool about it is we're still willing to risk all that because it's still worth it. Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting is there, there is a, I had to look it up, but there is a Bible verse from Psalms that says, uh, children are a heritage like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Oh, right, so, so it, it kind of like um, could be they're kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're also a weapon as well, right? Because yeah. I wonder, like, as you were being tortured, yeah, they could be used against you, but then couldn't you also use the, them as a motivation, right? The, like you know, like in my recovery, right? Yeah, in, in my recovery, they are all my motivation. Yeah, right to get better, to get stronger, to be there for them, to to, to, to do what I got to do. But yeah, so I I think one of those one of those views in my in my you know post post experience here is that. Even though all of this could be used against you, yeah. all the great things that you keep, you know, keep loving and keep living, it's all still worth it. Yeah, which is kind of comforting. Yeah, right. It's still kind of comforting. Like, yeah, you're right. This could be the craziness. You know, when you, when you have kids for the first time, aren't we frightened to death? Aren't we scared? 100%. You know, don't we hate the fact that we don't sleep for weeks at a time or? Years at yeah, a time. I'm still not sleeping, yeah. bro. <laughs> and there's there's probably a diaper pail somewhere that you haven't changed in too long, yeah. and it's endless amounts of you know, will I be able to pay for college? Will I be able to feed them the next day? All that stuff. And at the end of the day, they're all worth it still. Yeah. And you know, when you look at my when I look at my family that way, and just realize, wow, you know what? It was worth going to hell for. Yeah. And I'll do it again if I have to. Is a pretty cool thing, and like I said, I'm not looking at the whole idea of life is short. Let's do what we got to do. I'm looking at it was, yeah, whatever we got to do as a family, it's worth doing for you guys. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Do you find that you um like there's this kind of middle space that you have to be now? Like, because I mean, for me, I think about all right, uh, I don't want to be the dad who or the husband who's my wife and my children are everything, uh, because you know that's kind of a setup. Mm-hmm. I think that could be a, that could be like an idol in a way. But I also don't want to be so attached that like, 
I'm not going to play with my kids today, yeah. you know, or, or I'm not going to be loving towards my wife. Do you find that you're having, after your experience, you're having to be more in that middle space that you're more aware of that? Um, I, in, in many ways, yes, because it is a, let's say struggle. That's a, that's a, that's a strong word, right? It's not really that. Um, it, but it definitely is. There, there is a mental a mental stress there, right? You're, you're, you're being pulled in so many directions. Yeah. You know, work life, personal life, family life, kid life, um, and time, right? Just from time standpoint overall. Um, yeah, balance. Yeah. Balance is everything. And, and I do feel that we do have that thought process all the time. Like, am I spending too much time? Am I not spending enough? Am I doing all that? But I, I think that's... That's just a part of humanity that we just cannot escape until it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Right. I, I, I don't think there's a way around that. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I was talking, you know, Ames. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking with Ames the other day, uh, just on uh, Instagram uh, messaging. And it's just like, you know, just when I think I, I love my wife enough, you know, I have to start all over again. It's like yeah. going to the gym, right? You think you, you think you're strong, you think you're fast, and then you take a little bit of a break and then you lose the gains, right. you know? Um, I don't think there's enough spoken about amongst men about how hard it is to dip, uh, how difficult it is to maintain all of these different responsibilities that we have. Yeah. You know, I, I think uh, our wives, you know, women in general are very vocal about what's difficult for them and all this kind of stuff. But I think us men, we just carry stuff on our shoulder all the time. Because we're supposed to Because we're supposed to. We're supposed to. And if you're not tough, you're a B yeah. word or whatever. Um, so I think it's really cool, especially hearing from you. I mean... You're, you are never a guy that I've heard talk about have a difficulty, you know, yeah. ever, that I can ever recall. And I think the group of guys that we used to hang around with very, like, kind of, uh, I guess, more macho, you know, like, I'm tough, I'm tough, you know. Right. Um, but it's really cool to kind of see you having this kind of spiritual, I, w- I would call this a spiritual wa- awakening. I mean, it's way more than that, you know. But I think um, just to kind of get the idea in the listener's head, like what it would be, because this experience kind of changed your whole life. It sounds like it changed everything. Yeah, it really did. Um, you know, one to understand that what, whatever you, like I said, whatever you, whatever you love here or or or, or enjoy could be used against you if you go to hell. Yeah, it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, but but, but above it all, right? Just the fact that there is more than just this life mm-hmm. it's pretty comforting and, yeah. and and even the even the ideas of of religion right like you know you've been through the churches but let's be honest isn't there always a piece of doubt that it's what am i doing here or yeah. like is this even real yeah. I, I don't know anybody who would never had that doubt creep in yeah Right? Well, I mean, there, there's literally a guy in the Bible they're calling Doubting Thomas, right? right? I mean, he's doubting that Jesus is real. I, I, you know, in regards to religion and, and all that kind of stuff, I, for me, um, I really do believe people just need to do what works for them, you yeah. know? Because you know, there is some person or, or tribe of people in some part of the world who have never been given any holy book. So what, are they going to go to hell when they die? That doesn't seem fair. You know, like... <laughs> You know, I, I think all of us have this internal sense of good and bad and things like that. And I think the more we do bad things, the more they become more uh, familiar to us and it's easier to do. Yeah. Right. I mean, like like the midget animal porn. Like that's yeah. <laughs> you keep on yeah, doing you it. You watch it once. But <laughs> it, 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 you just do it more. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. yeah. But like the more good you do, it just begets more good. And um, I think, you know, of course, it's not just about being good, but, you know, being moral and all this right. kind of stuff and helping our brothers and sisters, you know, as, as a human race. And I, and I think what you're doing is the most religious thing is, you know, right now raising all this money for people who are suffering. I mean, right now, 
this is like the Thanos snap, man. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like it's, weird. it's like we're living in this whole different time. I feel like we're at that. It's like that meeting with Captain America. We're all sitting in a circle yeah. after the Thanos snap, talking about we have to just get along. Yep. You know, it's a very hard time. So I mean, and that's also again one one reason this podcast kind of birthed. Um, so yeah, I mean, to hear you have this change and how it's really affected the way you look at your family and how you want to serve your family and shifting your focus from just like uh, work, work, work to you know enriching your family life and being able to take these experiences in, you know, is, is a beautiful thing. Yeah, and it, it, you know, I'm still in the process. Yeah. By the way, this is like this is a process that will stay with me for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, because there was just so much that I experienced. Yeah. And and there is this there's there's that weird part of me, right? I mean, it's. It's living in my head right now. I've been, I'm, I'm 139 years old, mm-hmm. which is kind of a weird feeling. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a psychic, like I said, I'm not, I'm not a medium, but you know what I am? What, what's really cool is, if, I, if, you, if you can go back to three-year-old Solomon and give him advice, he's about to touch the stove, what do you say to him? Don't do it, man. What's he gonna do? He's gonna do it. He's gonna do it. Probably six right? times before he stops. Okay, and then, yeah. and then you go to 14-year-old Solomon and say, what are you gonna say? Don't date that girl. Right? Or don't do... Th- okay, yeah. I, I remember from high school. So I get it. I get it. <laughs> Please so, don't do it. You're going to ruin right. yourself. Yeah. But all those things you keep telling yourself to do, or you tell somebody younger than you right now, right? You were talking about the next generation. You tell 15-year-old Bob something, a, a piece of advice, he's going to do the complete opposite of it because he has to touch the fire. Yeah. He has to feel the flame. What's so interesting about what happened to me is that I was the one that experienced it. Mm-hmm. I already touched those fires. I've spent a hundred years of additional living, you know, mentally in my head, of touching a hundred years of fires mm-hmm. to know what's hot or not. Mm-hmm. And because I was the one that experienced it, I don't have to touch it again. Because mm-hmm. you know how you know how much it hurts. Because I already did. Mm-hmm. Different than you telling a different person, a fifteen-year-old person, some advice. Yeah, they don't know that pain. Yeah, I did, and I'm telling myself the advice mm-hmm. which is kind of unique yeah and weird <laughs> yeah yeah right yeah well i mean so there's this concept uh, I, I really enjoy so you know i do a lot of work with in substance recovery mm-hmm. and so when people when patients you know have this time away from using drugs or alcohol and then they drink or they do drugs again they call it a relapse right and a relapse very similar to this whole concept victor victim right there's two ways to look at it victim is like oh what was me victor is like i got this you know i'm gonna i'm gonna do better or surviving to thriving, that difference. Uh, in certain parts of the world, they don't call it a relapse, they call it a convincer, a right? Convincer. A convincer, meaning... Uh, Wait, the, 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 the moment, the, the, the actual relapse is called a convincer moment? Yeah, it's, okay. it's called the, well, I guess when they stop. Like, so let's say the relapse, okay. what we're calling is a relapse here, uh, eventually comes to an end, right? Because it's usually a run, that's what, that's what people will call it in the substance abuse world, we'll call it okay. a run when someone's using, and then they finally stop. And they're like, I relapsed, right? Because people don't say they relapse while they're relapsing. They could justify it. You know, I can handle this. Um, I can I can use normally like a normal person. I could drink like a normal person. And then eventually it comes to a head and they get a DUI or something bad happens and they have to stop. And then and that's what I'm seeing them again. And so, you know, they'll say, I just realized I, I, I just relapsed. and I don't know what happened to me. So I try to frame it differently. I say, you know, this is a convincer. You know, you know, you can't drink like your friend Jim or like your brother you know or whoever you know that you can't just have one glass of wine it's going to steamroll into something else so it sounds like almost like what you've had is like this it's ultra convincer you know like i mean because the thing is you've been touching fires right i think you even prior to but i think 
this experience for you. You've done it for a hundred years now versus just a couple times. By the way, there's still a lot more fires to touch. Yeah. It's just a hundred years of less fires. Right. Right. Because I mean, there's an infinite amount of fires that, right. could, that could be touched and I'm sure I'll make a crap ton more mistakes over and over again. Yeah. But there's a whole set of mistakes that I've already made that I don't have to do again. Well, uh, give me like one or two of those mistakes just to uh, uh, conceptualize it for people. Well, you know, it, what, was, what was really interesting was there was this whole side dream going on while I was in, while I was in seeing the future. And there was one where I actually had an affair. Mm-hmm. But I know she did my wife before. Yeah. But there was one, there was a side track where I had an affair with a woman, uh-huh. and it forced my wife to leave me. It mm-hmm. forced my kids to leave me, and me and this woman would get married years later, mm-hmm. and her husband would would beat us, would found us and shot me. Wow. Oh, so the woman in this side story was, was also married. Also married. Wow. And shot me. So like like yeah, I did that. I got shot. And I was in a, I was in another coma for four hundred days, <laughs> but but just think, but wow. think that that this could never this may never happen or it might happen well, exactly as is. But the fact that I know the consequences yeah. now, as if I didn't know them before, right? But now right. it's proof of concept. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> proof of concept. But yeah. but the fact that I experienced that is yeah. kind of like okay, right, you know you're going to lose your family over this. Yeah. If you if you meet a woman like this and and it happens and are you really really looking to risk your marriage your children your futures for this yeah and it's just a fire that's, yeah. a, that's a pretty big fire by the way but you felt it viscerally i you lived I it. lived it you i remember it. i remember so here's here's how painful it was so in hell or actually in the, in the future I, there was this weird thing i was i told you i was in a hospital bed most of the time and there would be like on the top right corner, well, facing facing the top left corner of the glass wall in front of me, they would write messages with a whiteboard marker on the glass. Yeah. And one time I just closed my eyes, told you like the whole Lion King thing. I'd look up and it'd be like 12 years later. And my wife would say it would have a goodbye message on there. Wow. And I clip up, what was that? Close my eyes, come back. And we reconciled two years later. Like, oh, it's our second, second anniversary kind of thing. Wow. Right? And then I did it again. Uh-huh. And then I cheated on her with the same woman again, uh-huh. over and over. Like, uh-huh. like I couldn't escape this other woman, uh-huh. right? And then I eventually, eventually she just left me. Wow. And she remarried and all this stuff. I experienced all of that happening. And the emotion behind and it. And the emotion behind my kids saying goodbye to me. Yeah. That's pretty harsh. It is harsh. Right? It's different than just saying, you know, oh, I know what might happen or I can get away with it once. Yeah. Right, but going through the process of what could actually or will actually happen if I go down that route, yeah, is kind of frightening. Well, and you know what, too, it's not an unlikely scenario. You know, it's not an impossible scenario. No, nothing's impossible. Yeah, you know, it's funny too. I don't think that your experience has to only be in in death or being near death. Right. I right. think people can have glimpses of it. You know, strangest thing, you know, I think sometimes people say things to us that ha- they have no reason to say, but they say it anyway, and it's like a warning, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I was getting acupuncture on Wednesday. Never got acupuncture before. And the guy was Korean, and so he would talk to me in kind of like broken English, and I was really tr- struggling with trying to get what he was saying. So he had asked me at some point, uh, oh, you're married? And I said, yeah. He's like, you have children? I said, yeah, three. He's like, boys or girls? And I said, uh, all girls. And so what he said was, uh, you're a very unlucky man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a very lo- unlucky man. You know, if you divorce your wife, you're not going to get divorced just once. You're going to get divorced four times. Oh, boy. And I was like, is this a warning? You know, because, I mean, yeah, I mean, marriage, it, it's difficult sometimes, you know. 
and uh, although I've been very, very lucky, you know, sometimes I get in my head and, you know, we might have arguments and, and things like that where I start to get, I, I'm a planner. Like, that's just how my brain goes. What happens if. Yeah, if, what happens if. if. All right, yeah. so then we do this financially and uh, I'll, maybe I'll live here. You know, I start going there. Like, I'm going to be a freaking monk. I'm going to live in the forest and just be away from everybody. Like, that's where my mind goes because I'm just, that's, you know, I get into like um, fight or flight mode, yeah. you know. So when he said that to me, I was like, oh, my God, I can't imagine divorcing my girls. Like, yeah. Oh, and only because I had the experience of the hospital did what he say become more like tangible to me. Because I really, at one point when I was going into the hospital, was thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to lose my kids forever. And I never felt that pain before, yeah. you know. So that's a that's an interesting thing that you had that experience as a side story. Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd ex- lived out alternate alternate futures over and over again, by the way. So yeah. it, it's kind of weird. There's a lot of side universes and side alternating parallel stories happening. Yeah. Um, so I lived all, lived them all out, and I'd gone through the pain of it actually happening. Yeah. And, and it's, what's interesting, exactly what you said, though, right? this isn't new knowledge. Yeah. We know that it would hurt if these things happened. Right. Right? But we're so stupid because we still want to touch the fire. <laughs> yeah, of course. We still think we can get away with it, or we still think it's not a big deal, or it's not going to happen that way. And you know, it, was almost a, it was a blessing for me that it actually happened in many ways to me. I lived it out to see all the terrible and wonderful things that it may have been, but I had to go through it. You know, you know, Gino always kind of makes fun, laughs at me, and I think he's just mocking me at some point. And he keeps saying, like, 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 Plebby, I think a lot of things happen. I think this experience happened to you is because you are the most, you would be the least believed person to tell these stories sometimes. Mm-hmm. I was like, what do you mean? It's like, well, like, 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 you know, if, if, if a priest said, I went to heaven, Oh, yeah, of course you believe that, <laughs> right. right? Yeah, yeah. Or if a murder says I'm going to hell, yeah, yeah. of you course believe you that. believe yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to like both, yeah. and n- neither one is really that believable, right? Like I didn't do anything that bad to go to hell, but like Plebby's all just, it's, I'm still me, so I'm not necessarily going to heaven. <laughs> so it's a c- kind of a cool interesting yeah. story, which actually is like, no, that makes a lot of sense. You know what, man? I, I, you know, I was telling my, I have a really good friend who is, uh, his name's Tim, super holy guy, like through and through, like, man, like I, I look up to this guy. I think they have, they're on their sixth kid and like they really live that Catholic lifestyle like uh, through and through. Um, that's his brand. You know what I mean? Like not that he's like branding himself, but that is him. That's his brand. Um, so I started thinking, I think my brand is to be in the middle. I mean, because how many people are like not in the middle, like right. being able to kind of see what holiness is like or, or spirituality is like and being a good person and all that. You know, so many people are just living their life just to freaking, you know, enjoy themselves and for pleasure for like this hedonistic lifestyle, you know, um, so, I mean, I hear what Gino's saying, but, like, I know you, and I don't think it's unlikely for you to have this story. I think it's very, like, uh, <laughs> profound, you know, that you had this experience, and especially the way your mind works. I mean, well, that's funny, because, you know, I've talked to a couple therapists since. One, a PTSD therapist was assigned to me mm-hmm. from my insurance, like, uh-huh. for the next two months after I got out. Because, I, like, like, I told them the story, like, you have PTSD, man. Uh-huh. Like, you, you need to, like, talk to people about this. So she, she, they set me up. Um, I didn't have to tell you. I, I tried to kill myself in the hospital when I woke up. I don't think you told... I, I think you told me that they jumped on you, but I didn't know so that... That also happened. Uh, <laughs> oh, a separate... So, actually, actually I'll, I'll, let me go to that story first. So when I, when I woke up, they said they've never seen it before. Mm-hmm. By the way, 50 pounds or 45 pounds less, couldn't walk, weak as anything. When I got out of bed, when they, pulled, when they extubated me, I ripped my gown off and jumped on the nurse and started pounding him. Wow. 
now, by the way, I don't know how real, how strong. I could have been just doing like You're just like a, like a cat, right? <laughs> like, or I could have been beating the crap yeah, yeah, out of him, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. I'm, I, was, I was still 180. I mean, that's still a pretty big dude, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was either doing, I was either killing him, or I was like, you know, scratching, his, <laughs> scratching his toes. Um, but then I woke up. They stabbed me with um, five uh, um, Ativan, probably Ativan, yeah. Ativan in my thigh. Yeah. Um, and I woke up in shackles or, yeah. or in restraints. Uh, five points, which is really five kind point. Of, Yes. So over the chest too. Yes. Wow. So I've heard. Um, I've been in psych for 15 years. I've never used five point. I escaped it. No way. I escaped. And did they use the leathers or did they use the cloth ones? I do you remember? I, you know what? In my in my brain, they were they were they weren't like buckles. They were like Velcro. Yeah, almost. those are the those are not the psych approved ones. Okay, yeah. so so what I did? So I'll, let me give you a, a way to escape. In my <laughs> by the way, in just my, in case I get admitted again. In thank my you. mind, by the way. I I was staring at my wrist for like two months. Uh-huh. Obviously, that wasn't happening. But mentally, I was still drugged up. I was just got off the ventilator. I remember staring for like two months. I'm like, I can get out of this. <laughs> I can get out of this. And I was remember staring at. I guess I was. I had a one to one at that point. Somebody was like watching me the whole time. Yeah. And this lady was at the mirror at, at the at the glass looking at me. She's like, Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. I'm, I'm. This is months in my head, right? That's yeah. two months. I'm staring at my. As soon as she turns around, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. As soon as she turns around, I grab the, I guess the call function. I was able to kind of reach it with one, the call phone uh-huh. with one hand. I was able to get the cord in between the Velcro and the uh, thing. And peel it back. And then I, 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 I threw the phone and it wrapped around the, the edge of the bed. And I was able to just like this and it ripped off the Velcro as, it, wow. as I pulled it. Like MacGyver. Yeah. And then I was like, oh crap, I'm out. <laughs> Let's do this. And then the minute I did that, I started ripping out all the IVs. I ripped out the main line, the cent- whatever it's called, the central line from yeah. my neck that goes into my heart. Yeah, I pulled it out. Wow. Pulled it out. There was a fountain of blood wow. gushing out. Ripped out the catheter. No way. In my penis. Oh, gone, my gone. God. Through the balloon. Yeah, gone. Gone. You know a balloon hose. Oh, I know. I know. Oh, my God. I, by the way, it was on both sides of me, by the way. Oh, my God. They both, I pulled them both out. My God. I didn't feel any of it, by the way. I didn't feel <laughs> but I woke up and I was like, there's a lot of blood here. And I remember being the mentality was that I was, if, if I went, I thought I'd just gone back to hell. Uh-huh. I was like, if I'm back in hell, if I kill myself again, I can go through the cycle of the imager back to heaven, potentially, and I have a chance. Worst case, I'm back in hell anyway. Right, right, you know? right. Worst case. And I was really confused at that point. Yeah. But I remember escaping that and getting back into trying to kill myself. Wow. And because of that, they had to put me, they had to, when I got downgraded the next day, they had to put me with a one-to-one. And this lady was staring at me through the window the entire time, uh-huh. you know, through COVID, all this kind of stuff. Um, because I had actually tried to kill myself. Wow. It was something, I'm, I'm not a kill myself kind of guy. Yeah. But the experience of heaven was so wonderful that it was worth kill dying just to get back. You know, there's a story about this woman. Actually, I heard it on NPR who um, she was delusional uh, and she was like one of these like yoga retreat people. Um, so she had gone on some yoga retreat and her delusion was that if she she had uh, reached such spiritual divinity that she thought if she killed herself, she could be one with the light. So she actually tried to commit suicide on a yoga retreat, right? Mm. But I mean, you had so many drugs pumping through your system as yeah. well as this like spiritual, you know, event, you know, that, that you were having. Um, so where do you think you stand today in terms of like your mental well-being? You know, mental is pretty amazing right now. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, first of all, there's a hundred years of fires behind me. Yeah. Uh, probably a million years more that I could still touch, but at least that aspect is gone. Um, and honestly, you know, like I was asking you before, the, the whole idea of doubt 
even in just your spiritual aspects, right? I no longer doubt, which is kind of cool. In terms of um, of religion, of religion, of religion uh-huh. just, just faith overall, right? Yeah. There's, I, I, priests doubt. Yeah. Right. The the holiest person you know, it's him. Whatever. I'm sure he has moments of doubt that have crept in or will creep in the future. Yeah. Right. And I, I actually told this. I was like, the difference of believing and now knowing changes everything. Mm. Changes everything. And and you know, a lot of people ask me. Since I've gotten out, by the way, I've talked to a lot of people who have relatives that have died or are dying. They're not asking me to talk to their relatives. Or that, but, right, right. but what they are asking me is they just want to know that there's more. Mm-hmm. And whatever science wants to doubt or people want to doubt, doesn't really matter. I know that there's so much more after this life, mm-hmm. which is a very comforting and releasing mindset. Mm-hmm. And the other part of it is I've lived through my family getting through whatever they had to get through mm-hmm. and came out the other side happy and, and well mm-hmm. as a dad and husband isn't that all the comfort we need in our life yeah for sure i've watched it happen now yeah. i still like you said before i still got to make it happen yeah but it there's it's there it's there for the taking it's there to happen yeah and it's possible right which is wow i mean geez if the fact that it's a possible track and a path that we can make happen as a as a dad that's all that's all you ever asked for right for sure yeah and in terms of like uh you know just basic things like are you able to sleep okay i mean are you having any anxiety when this creeps up or like it's it's all gone the first few months were tough yeah i mean obviously the story now where you hear what you're hearing about all the stuff it took a while to digest yeah um mainly because there was no time pattern Mm -hmm. when i died so trying to organize those thoughts was very complicated and understanding what was fake, what was real, what, like you said, what was induced by medical stuff happening and Tylenols up your butt. All that kind of <laughs> stuff. But, but all that stuff was a lot to digest. Um, you know, I've come to a couple of really great realizations about all of it. One of them being was no matter what was the reasoning of how and why it happened, this is how I perceived it. Right. This is how it was given to me to perceive. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, you know, I've talked to a lot of people that, that have gone through these NDEs, near-death experiences. Most of them aren't as extensive as mine. Mm-hmm. Most of them are a moment where they saw somebody, saw the light, came back, felt love, and all that stuff. And most of them don't remember it to the extent that I do. Yeah. There's a reason for that. Yeah. And whatever that reason is, you know, it can't be bad. Yeah. Um, but it's worth looking for. Mm-hmm. Right, and yeah. I'm not sure if I'll ever find it, but hell, it's, it's but you're gonna it's, try. It's, it's a great journey. Yeah, yeah, and I think too, your your brain is is so atypical, you know, compared yeah. to other people. I mean, like I said, you know, knowing you from you know such a young age, you know, being literally a Mensa, you know, certified genius, like that part was real, uh, which we mentioned in the beginning. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm super, you know, excited for your journey going forward, and I'm I'm glad to kind of have been there at least yeah. in the beginning. You know, from the rosary, that was cool to do. I'm like. You know, um, to be honest with you, that, that really kind of shook me, you know, having to do a rosary for a friend at, at 38 years old and, yeah. you know, you know, could possibly die. And I didn't, I wasn't like a routine rosary prayer. So like, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't really care to do this. But I was like, you know, it's plebe. So I, I better do this. I'm going to be upset if, so, if I, if I could have participated yeah. in a rosary, you know. So I did. And actually, I, would, I would have haunted you too. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> you know, not you, cool. You know, that was my first ever Zoom meeting ever. Oh, really? I never did a Zoom meeting. So, um. We had the kids gathered. I'm like, girls, sit down. We're praying the rosary. And then, like, I started seeing reactions to yeah. everyone on the screen, like, laughing. I'm like, 
oh shit, can they hear me? <laughs> so then I texted, I think Steph afterwards. I'm like, was the people hear me? She's like, yeah, we heard everything. <laughs> and I was just like yelling at my kid, let's bring the freaking rosary. You know, um, but no, uh, what would you, all right, at, at, uh, to sum things up for someone who's just listening now, what would you want them to take away from your experience? You know, it, it's, it's, it's fine. If you could find the wonderful things in your life and grab onto it, right? As hard as it is to keep them, keep fighting for them, right? It mm-hmm. is hard to be married. Mm-hmm. It is hard to be a dad. Yeah. It's hard to keep your wife loving you. Yes. It's hard. It's yes. hard to keep your kids thinking you're a hero or engaged that, that you're a cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, they're going to figure you out, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's hard. But it is so worth it. Mm. It is all worth it because at the end of all things, at the end of all things, there's just love left, mm. right? And if you can't learn to love now, right, what are you, what are you living for, mm. right? I'm not saying everyone has to get married, but fall in love with something, mm. Right, fall and find passion somewhere because it's, and and it is hard. Finding passion is hard. You know, when you're live, when you're working out, right? You do. It's hard. It's, yes. a, it's meant to. Be, it's called a workout because you're working. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And you when you when you find passion in your job, it's still called work. work. Yeah. Right. Because it's supposed to be a struggle. Yeah. And you know, marriage should be called work because <laughs> it's supposed to be a struggle. Yeah. Right. And life should be called a workout because it's supposed to be a struggle because all the good things are struggles. Yeah are the best ones of them all, right? If it's not a struggle, then it's not worth it, right? You know what's interesting? I didn't hear you say one thing about money, you know, yeah. which is which is an amazing thing. We had talked a little bit earlier about, you know, someone saying they want to be a billionaire. Right. You know, the but, whole concept, right? Of just being a billionaire is supposed to be like the end-all, be-all of all right, things, right? Like for what, you know? Right. And I think, you know, it... it I mean, I'm not going to say it's because of our capitalist society, but, you know, I know, you know, America's like that, but also capitalism has done great things as well. It gives people motivation to do, you know, right. and, uh, you know, people get rewarded for their work. Right. But um, I think a lot of people, too, get caught up in this like rat race of money just to acquiring to acquire. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm probably one of the, the biggest, you know, guilty parties and all that growing up. Right. I mean, I've I've. I've I work hard for, for a reason. Most of it was because I wanted toys to play with and, and cool stuff. Um when I so one of the companies that I am a consultant for is run by two very successful twenty something year olds, multi million successful, and I'm a partner in the company. But I in January last year I had just signed on, and when I went down in March, I've only been around for three months or so, mm-hmm. right? Um, I called them in my delirium those first two or three days in the hospital before I got ventilated. I called them. And they said, they, they even, th- I didn't know this happened, but they told me after the fact. And they said, I was speaking very slow, which is, is opposite of me, right? Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, speak yeah. very fast yeah. all the time. Um, they said there was something like you were saying a word or two every couple seconds. But they got the, I got the message out. And what I told them was really something profound that surely isn't coming from me because I would never have thought or said this before. Um, what I told them was, you know, it's weird that I worked so hard in my 20s for a life. I didn't know I was going to have in my late 30s, hmm. right? Everything I was doing, all the hard work was that when I was ready to die, I, by the way, I did tell the doctor, let me go. I'm, I'm ready to die, mm-hmm. right? When, when I, was, uh, I was ready to die because I had taken care of my family. Mm-hmm. Like there was insurances and there was money in the bank. Like they would be okay. Mm-hmm. And I told these guys in their 20s, like 
no, they have no kids, not married, no girlfriends, not, they're just single and they work like 30 hours a day, which is crazy, right? But I told them that, you know, everything I was doing was at that, at their age was prepping for a future I didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I was going to have a wife and two kids and all this kind of stuff. Um, so, I mean, as, as far, and, and I told them, maybe this is your time, but you're not prepping just because of the money. You're prepping for a future you don't even know exists yet. Mm. So that's why that's that to me is what money is, right? Yeah, it's not about you know just let's just put a billion bucks in the bank for the sake of building a billion bucks in the bank. It's because you're prepping and you're doing something with it that's going to be for something you don't know. You may not even know exists. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. As a dad, we're prepping for college and all that kind of crap, kind of crap that's going to suck. But <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. part of the part of the rat part of the rat race, like yeah. you said, right? But so much more comes into it and i think the reason if you could find if if my reason to work was anything it would be for something i don't even know mm-hmm. and that to me is kind of a cool mystery that is basically what life is yeah right and, and you're right it's more than just money it's because we're working for a future yeah and i think that's that to me is how money is looked at nowadays right i look at that it's, it has nothing to do with the dollars in the bank it's about a future that's going to be there when it when it comes for sure actually and i, th- I mentioned this earlier but you know uh, Jim Rohn, he's the man that says, uh, you know, uh, make your goal to make a million dollars. Not uh, not because you need the million dollars. Give the money away once you make it, but because of the person you become in the process of making right. that million dollars. And also, too, having money, you know, opens you up to opportunity, right? I mean, right. I think it's a good thing to set your kids up, too. I mean, there's not... Uh, I think um, coming from uh, a migrant parents, you know, I, you see a lot of migrant parents they leave their kids nothing you know and there's nothing for them you know for the future as opposed to our counterparts who have multiple families you know yeah. uh you know here in the united states four or five six generation mayflower money yeah. you know and just like uh these are the type of people who um you know their their parents will buy them a house or you know pay for their wedding and all this kind of stuff but you know um because they've kind of prepared for their family and passed it down but, but i want but, to be able to give something to my but family. isn't that isn't that crappy part about being who we are culturally and and, and where we are today yeah. like as like you and me like we like we grew up in the same town yeah you know we both come from from immigrant families but isn't that the crappy part about being where we are like we know there's another type of life out there and i'm not, I'm not talking about the generational wealth you're talking about i'm talking about the other side you go to the Philippines, third world country, people taking craps in the streets. Yeah. We know we've been there. You've yeah. s- you've seen it. Yes. Right? And now we have to walk the line as parents and adults of okay, yeah, we want to leave a generational legacy behind, but at what point is it too much? <laughs> at what point are we not parenting and showing them, "Hey man, this this is not what real life is. Right. There are there is a world." And yeah. I agree like there is a part of us that's leaving Mayflower money is kind of cool. Yeah. But I don't want my parents. I don't want my kids to be jerks. Oh, right. Listen, it's it's oh. such a crazy balance that we. That, okay, I want to provide, but at what point am I providing too much yeah. and not providing enough parenting and and showing them the third world yeah. life? Like, like it's weird. It's just a crazy yeah. time. I, yeah, I think we both totally grew up like in humble beginnings. You know, we grew up in a pretty good town. Yeah, but, but I think basically getting humble, there was, yeah, was, com- was complicated. Hard, right? yeah. yeah, but uh, you know, I, I even when I talk to my daughter sometimes, like she'll. She'll be on FaceTime. She's like, oh, we have a really nice house. And I'm like, you don't say that to people. You know, so I have to kind of teach them like, you know, God blessed us to have this, you know. And so it's not like we have a lot of money. You know, it's like we're, we're working hard and God's given us grace to be able to have all these things. So I think they're really good teaching points. Like when our kids say things to let them know. And my kids have been to the Philippines. So, I, you know, I remind them of how it was, you know, right. um, remind them every, you know, my mom used to always say, you know, when I throw out, when I want to throw out my food, she's like, no, you know, there are people starving in the Philippines. To this day, I can't throw away food. 
yesterday, Arlene and I went to go eat at this uh, uh, place called Jack's Lobster. Really, mm. really amazing restaurant. It's like a Maine lobster style stuff. And uh, I told the guy to wrap up my food, but he threw it away by accident. I was more upset that he threw away the food than anything. Like he made more. Like they gave us the food. Right. They made it again. But they did throw away a piece of lobster uh, into, the, into the garbage. I was, I was physically hurting from that. <laughs> I was physically, because I'm like, what a waste. What a waste, you know? And then Arlene and I had to have a discussion about this, right. you know, with but, the kids. But even that, right? Like, like, you know, obviously we didn't have cell phones and FaceTime or tablets. <laughs> right. We had, we, we, it was with my teenage years when they got a pager, then you get a mobile phone, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. that whole concept, like, of, what is too much? Yeah, I think to me is like the biggest struggle as a parent nowadays. Yeah, and after everything that I've been through in the past year, like you know, like yeah, when you're dead, you don't need phones, you need all that kind of crap. But they are mandatory in many ways. Yeah, to live nowadays. Nowadays, for sure. And you know, and it's 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 part of the 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 life we have to live in. But you know, that generational wealth versus you know educational moments like you said yeah is is i think is always going to be the struggle yeah especially if someone like like you who's finding success in this world mm. right but you know at what at what cost mm-hmm. is it all i think uh you and i are really lucky to be born in this generation because we're at this generation where we ha- pl- we rode our bikes in the street right. you know we we played outside um and we came up with technology at the same time, right? Right. And also came from immigrant families. And from immigrant families. From a third world country yes. of all places, right? Yeah. So I think we're we have this opportunity, you know, if we're open it to be more grounded than right. maybe than maybe our other counterparts. So I think it's it's definitely gonna be more work for us with oh, our yeah. children, you know? No question about it. For I think sure. I think this this first US born generation yeah. isn't ever gonna understand how hard, you know, your parents had to work to get there and they're you know they're only going to see you kind of oh wow he's kind of already set (laughs) oh all right that's cool we're set i can't imagine just moving to another state let alone moving to another country just (laughs) jumping ship let's go yeah oh but i think i think all there's so much content here that i think is really going to be helpful for a lot of people and and again i i really do appreciate you being very vulnerable about your story i know it's still unfolding for you and i think it's going to be a glorious unfolding and it's going to be time um but I think uh, it sounds like it's going to be a beautiful thing, and I'm I'm glad to be somewhere in in like a sub chapter. Happy to, happy <laughs> to have you. Well, you know, it's I think I reached out to you because I think now is, as parts of the story unfolds, like you said, right? They are timely. Yeah. Because there is an expiration date to our time here. Absolutely. And I, I don't really talk about that much. I, like I said, I don't really want to talk about oh life is short. You know, that's what I learned because it's not really all of it. But the fact is, you know, if you are going to die young. We don't, what would you really change? Mm-hmm. Right? Let's just get to that point where we all just say nothing. Yeah. Right? Nothing. Yeah. Whatever, if, whether I die tomorrow or 10 years, I'm living life the right way. Yeah. So, in that sense, everything is very timely. Yeah. Because of that aspect, right? And maybe it's meant for somebody today to hear that message somewhere that whether or not it's today or 100 years from now, I hope you all say that I wouldn't change anything. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say the timeliness. Uh, I told her, Arlene, I have this agreement that I'm doing this every month now, you know, about every month. And then when you called me or texted me and you said, you know, we, we got to do this now. And I was like, Arlene, you know, I know I said every month. I know I did one two weeks ago, <laughs> but this has to be done. And she's like, why? I said, because it is time sensitive. Yeah. You know, imagine someone heard this today. Uh, imagine someone didn't hear this today when they could have heard it and they have this experience. And, and now they, they're out of the experience and experiencing the PTSD symptoms possibly or very confused about their near-death experience. 
imagine if they would have heard this first and then have gone to it, you know, and, and the probability of that is, is not super low. I mean, you know, yeah. well, so, I, I, even, even the COVID, right? Even yeah. look, just look at the crazy pandemic we're in right now. Yeah. You know, a lot of people told me that what my experience did for them, even our friends, right? What did for them was made them believe it. Absolutely. So, you know, if, if, you know, <laughs> this is this is a stretch. What if I saved another family from losing their 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 dad or husband because I would, they were so scared that what would happen to happen to me would happen to them? Yeah. To me, that makes this all worth it. Yeah, for which sure. Which is kind of cool, right? Even if one person heard it, you know, if, if one person heard one it person. And, and and washed their hands a little longer, or, yeah, <laughs> or, put, or bought them pure, put a mask on, yeah, whatever yeah, else. Yeah. If it was enough, then you know that's that's satisfying for me. That's good. Yeah. Well, listen. Well, um, how can people donate to this uh, fundraiser that you have for Center? Uh, is it for Center State or is it for... It's, it's for both. Center for State both and Center. Jersey Shore uh, Medical Center. Um, I will put a link up and I'll okay. send you a link. Absolutely. And post it up there with, with, the, with the podcast and we'll go from there. That sounds good. Follow Plebby. I've been calling him Plebby the whole time just so you guys know. Either one works. Either one works. My man, thank you for your time. It's been a blessing. Cool, bud. Thanks, man. I appreciate right. it. Up until this point in our lives, we've done the best we could with what we've known. Hopefully today we've come to learn something new so we can be better to give better. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Upstream. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the dot upstream podcast and join us every other Tuesday for fresh content. Until then, just keep swimming, friends.